Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind Good evening everyone, I'm Rick Walker. Welcome back to the Maverick News Channel. Hello Maverick family. And all the new people out there, the world is watching. And that's a good thing. Ooh, strange show last night. I don't know if tonight will be any better or not. We're going to try to keep things on a reality track as much as possible. Uh, leading the... Transmission tonight, the story about Osama bin Laden's letter to America. I have a different take than what I'm hearing from, well, it might be shifting. I told, I did, I have to, I have to say there have been some reports in the last hour, maybe two, that I've noticed that uh, are shifting the narrative a little bit. Anyway, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Osama bin Laden wrote a letter to America. At least we're told that he wrote this letter some months after the 9-11 attack. And this letter, which has been around since then, is now going viral. Again. Because, you know, Israel-Palestine. Unrest in the Middle East. Like I say, uh, 
I've got, I, I think my, my perspective on this, I think you'll find it uh, just a little bit different. Um, what else are we going to talk about? We have a victory for common sense. A court has quashed Canada's federal, a federal government of Canada initiative, a Trudeau plan to ban all single-use plastics. Apparently, it's unconstitutional, illegal. I hope I'm getting the language correct. Regardless, it's um, it's illegal in some respect because uh, it's it's apparently too broad of a definition. I don't know if it's a constitutional issue. It might be just a legislative thing under a particular act. Um, let me check these notes. It is. Is like so the uh, yeah the Environmental Protection Act so it's not constitutional it's not a constitutional question it's a legislative issue that means it'll be a short-lived victory you can be sure of that if Trudeau and his regime remain in power any length of time they'll just revise the legislation write rewrite the law they can do that that's what governments do it isn't corruption. In this case, it's just more authoritarianism. Got to get them out of there, folks, if you want straws that, that don't turn to mush in your mouth because they're made of paper. Uh, didn't really get a chance yesterday to touch on the leader of China meeting with President Biden. I didn't really care that much, honestly because I knew that not much would come of it because anything they say is going to be diplomatic baffle gab and outright lies in some cases and whatever they agree upon won't be that substantial and won't be enforceable. And uh, it's just all a bunch of window dressing. The only important thing is that they met and if they're meeting, at least they are not shooting at each other or getting us to shoot at each other. So I guess that's a positive thing. Even though Biden says they've made real progress. <laughs> anyway, we'll recap some of that because there are some uh, moments of note that I'm sure you'll appreciate from the meeting. And... Snoop Dogg, Snoopy Doopy Doopy Dog, he says, no more marijuana for me. That's not how he talks. I don't even know why I said it that way. Um, Yaman, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I can't do a Snoop Dogg impression. That's my Jamaican guy. Yaman, yeah, that's about it. Uh, anyway, we'll... We'll explain why he's not gonna not gonna inhale anymore. Um, so those are kind of the main things. And then in a little while, we're going to be joined on the program by Derek Smith, author. You know him best for his best-selling book, How the Prime Minister Stole Christmas. 
Well, he has that new book out. It has hit the market. It is a kid's guide to grooming. Uh, a book really designed to help families find protection by arming them with knowledge, which I think is probably a pretty positive thing all the way around. So Derek will join us shortly on the program. We'll, we'll take a brief break here, come back on the other side, and dig into today's top news stories right here on the Maverick News Channel. The sharing of biased and false, false news has become, become all too common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming some media In an ocean of lies a century deep, the truth awaits. Choose not the red pill. Choose not the blue pill. For both are an illusion. Discover the power of M. The power of individuality. We are mavericks. We are the way to the light. Fear not the storm. Join our quest for truth. Truth will set you free. Maverick News. The world is watching. The New World Order. Government overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now, at FreedomReporters.com That's FreedomReporters.com Maverick News The Antivirus Program For Your Mind I wasn't even going to talk about this tonight because I don't like being used. But everybody's talking about it now. Which almost leaves me no choice. I could just not talk about it. I could just not not get involved, but it is it is news, I guess. And I guess I will talk about it because I think my perspective on it brings some value to the conversation. I'm talking about this letter to America that Osama bin Laden allegedly wrote following the 9-11 attacks. And after having this brought to my attention... And then taking a look at the whole thing, it is a significant development. And it also ties into a lot of what I've been talking about over the past week or two about information warfare. 
this whole episode, this chapter, it is without question to me, straight up information warfare. This is a propaganda exercise and skillfully executed, I might add. This whole thing is designed to undermine confidence in, undermine your confidence in your government, in your country, in your institutions, in your take on history, and to make you hate everything about your country and everything about yourself without you even realizing you're doing it. Or maybe you may understand or realize that you're doing it, but you, you, you'll, you'll feel compelled to do it because you'll feel like you're doing the right thing. But it's an exercise in spreading selective history, a particular perspective, a particular narrative, a particular kind of truth. It's propaganda. Not to say that there isn't some truth woven into it. There certainly is. But it leaves a lot of history out. And it's, uh, you know, it, this is extremely convenient for our adversaries because in this case, they didn't have to write. Well, not really. They didn't really have to write the narrative. It was already ready-made for them in the form of this letter, which had been posted online through the Guardian newspaper in Britain. It's been up for years. Today, they took it down because it went viral. Why did it go viral? That's a really good question. Well, I'll tell you why. Propaganda, information warfare. Somebody started rolling an information snowball down a hill. They tapped into some social media influencers, made some TikTok videos, made a compilation. You think this is organic, that it just happened on its own, that now suddenly people are watching, well, well, first of all, watching these videos, in particular on TikTok. These videos were produced mainly by young social media influencers. And they talked about this letter as though it was, it, it was eye-opening. It was, it was creating an existential threat for them on a personal level. It was shocking. The revelation that our country has done these atrocious things. And then they encourage everyone to go and read this letter. And that is really what it's all about. It's to direct people to the letter to read it. They wanted to get as many people to read the letter as possible to do as much damage as they possibly could through information warfare. And the letter is very anti-Semitic, very anti-Jew. It's homophobic. 
It is anti-American through and through. I have a copy of it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, if you really want to read it, you can go online and find it yourself. It's out there. Still, even though it was taken down off the Guardian's website, I'll show it to you, but I'm not going to go through the entire thing. I will highlight a couple of things on it. But before I show it to you, let's uh, let's take a look at what the mainstream media is doing with this tonight. Um, so here's Newsweek. And this is, this is an important story, I guess, just because it's only because it's getting so much attention and it's again, making people in particular, I think younger people question everything that they've been told or that they think or believe, which is, it's okay to question things, but if you're going to start questioning things, I would encourage everyone to make sure you get the full picture, all the information, not just the information Osama bin Laden provides through an old letter online that someone has a lot of has put invested a lot of energy in, in in order to get you to go read it. Anyway, here's Newsweek it says Navy SEAL who killed Osama bin Laden speaks out about TikTok praise. And this is, you know, it's a it's a funny thing. The, the, the language that I'm seeing around here. So this is pushback, okay, on the American side because people are saying, oh, I read the letter and Osama bin Laden was right. Was he? Really? Oh, okay. It's weird. Weird Parents news. of future graduates, here's the chance for you. Anyway, this is uh, not what we want to see. Okay, so here it is. Here, this is uh, this is this former Navy SEAL. He says the new TikTok fad is the positive reaction from Gen Z after reading "Letter to America" by Osama bin Laden. Deceit is a mask the devil puts over the eyes of useful idiots. Right? Deceit, deceit, deception. Keep that in mind, folks. There's a lot of that going on right now. So this uh, former Navy SEAL was part of the um, SEAL Team 6. Went into that Pakistani compound and, uh, and killed Osama bin Laden. And then afterward, he was buried at sea because... Uh, in in a ceremony that was in line with his religion. So it was done in a respectful manner, carefully, that they didn't want him buried in the ground because the Americans did not want him martyred. They did not want a gravesite used to preserve bin Laden's ideology and his message, but his message lives on in this letter. And in the letter, he uh, 
He talks about U.S. oppression of Palestinians. Let me uh, let me bring this back up here. I'll show you the letter. Here we go. We want the here's the letter to America from Osama bin Laden. So this is a copy of it right here. Now, like I say, I'm not going to read this whole thing because I don't want to promote it. I'm making you aware of it. He says, in the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful to the American people, peace be upon those who follow the righteous track hereafter. Except he doesn't really want to be peaceful if you read this letter. He doesn't want to be peaceful at all. The subject of my talk to you is the overwhelming control of capital and its effect on the ongoing war between us. I direct my talk specifically to those who support real change, especially the youth. So he says, your former president warned you previously about the devastating Jewish control of capital and about a day that would come when it would enslave you. It has happened. Your current president warns you now about the enormity of capital control, and it has a cycle whereby it devours humanity when it is devoid of the precepts of God's law, Sharia. And we've heard people just, especially in the last week or so, some saying that eventually, very soon, Sharia law will be coming to Canada and likely the United States. Anyway, it highlights economic issues, saying that um, the West is in trouble and is being bankrupted. Um, it goes on. It's uh, just a, it's several pages long. And in this letter, which and it has been it has been around for years, but going viral again. And it really what it does is it repeats a lot of these anti-Semitic tropes, cliches, the, the old standard anti-Jew. Um, racist narrative, dialogue, language, and blames the world's problems on the United States, Britain, colonialism, which is the issue that's at the heart of a lot of this. And so if you really, really look at it, It's woke. It's woke. It's neoliberal woke fascistic communism <laughs> with a, an authoritarian overtone to the extreme. And he makes it clear that right here it says the United States shall pay for its arrogance with the blood of Christians and their funds. So he's out to get not just the Jews, but the Christians as well. No doubt, because he sees the Christians as being in league with the Jews. So it's anti-Zionist. 
It's Jews and anybody who associates with Jews. It's the Jews and anybody that supports the state of Israel. It's the G- it's anybody that he points a finger at, and he's going to get you. Him and his terrorist buddies. It's the strangest thing. Never thought I'd see the day, folks, when Canadians and Americans would be looking at Osama bin Laden as a, honestly, some people almost embracing this, this guy as a, a hero tonight. And wow, is that misplaced. If you think that Osama bin Laden was ever really on your side, think again. Our government might be pretty bad in many respects, but that's because we have some politicians and bureaucrats in there who have been bought and paid for, I think, by outside interests, be they whether they're corporate or governmental from other outside governments. (laughs) It's not to say that everything has been turned and don't think for one minute that 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 guy was ever your friend. Here's the other thing. Here's the other takeaway. So many people believe that 9-11 was an inside job. Well, if it was an inside job, then I guess the, the point to be made is that, uh, Osama bin Laden wasn't responsible because, you know, um, why <laughs> you got nothing to do with it, right? I've heard that many, many times. Well, let me just point out that in this letter, he accepts responsibility for it. In fact, he's appears to be pretty proud of it. This letter is actually just um, a written justification for the attacks on September 11th, 9-11. It says right here, Palestine has been under occupation for decades and none of your presidents talked about it until after September 11th when Bush realized that your oppression and the tyranny against us were part of the reason for the attack. Then he talked about the necessity for two states. Obama is trying to address the issue with the same solutions suggested by his predecessor. They are quilting fruitless solutions not of concern to us. If you want a real settlement that guarantees your security in your country and safeguards your economy from being depleted in a manner similar to our war of attrition against the Soviet Union, then you have to implement a roadmap that returns the Palestine land to us. All of it. From the sea to the river. It is an Islamic land not subject to being traded or granted to any party. Now. Okay. Interesting. Like I say, this has been around for a while, this letter. And now suddenly it's gone viral. And young people are seem to be having an existential crisis. Jeez. <laughs> oh, sure you are. Yeah. You come on. <laughs> really? Really? Having an existential crisis, are you? 
Okay, here's all right. This was sent to me, and I didn't want I didn't want to run this, but it's running everywhere, so I'm not doing much more harm by sharing it with you. I guess you will watch it together. My take on this is totally different. I've seen other live casters, podcasters tonight through the day saying, good job, young people, for finally thinking critically. Good for you for listening to these uh, people on TikTok and checking out that information and informing yourselves. Yeah, with propaganda. Because it's not giving the full context of the history. And like so much of everything that I see right now, whatever narrative it is that you're listening to, it all tends to be very one-sided. And so this is the anti-American rhetoric that uh, we're about to immerse ourselves in right now. And it's easy to get sucked down into that hole. And it's very effective like I said, this is very good information warfare. They're very, very good at it, getting better all the time. And this time they've tapped into a network of young people. And I'll submit to you that probably one or two of these people in this video, they're actually foreign operatives. And the rest might be organic after that, you know, responded or reacted to the information snowball rolling down the hill and they jumped on and added to the size and momentum of the rolling information snowball. Anyway, I'll roll this and uh, just be armed. Don't take any of this at face value. That would be my advice. It's not just about questioning things anymore. It's about understanding things with context. This morning I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this letter. Ashamed. She's already ashamed. She's ashamed of herself. That really is what this is largely about. It's about making you feel ashamed. Didn't you know? Arch, don't you feel guilty? Haven't you? You're just not guilty enough. I'm so tired, honestly, folks, of people. Well, for whatever reason, especially on the neoliberal woke left side, trying to make us all feel guilty just for being American or Canadian. But I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild and everyone should read it. If you haven't. Actually, it's not that wild at all. You moron. Read it yet? Read it. However, be <laughs> forewarned that this has left me very disillusioned. And I feel the same exact way I felt when I was deconstructing Christianity. I feel. Oh, I see. Yeah. So she doesn't like Christians either. I was deconstructing the Christianity and tearing down society in my brain when I came across this letter and it just added more momentum to my whole anti-American uh, journey. Uh, a little bit just confused, like I have entered into another time. Yeah, I think you are confused. What is this? And yeah, so go read it. So I just read a letter to America. And I will never look at life the same. I will never look at 
this country the same. I will never. I Please read it. And if you have read it, let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment. Because in the last yeah. 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint on the entire life I have believed and I have lived has changed. Wow. I want to advertise to her and convince her to buy stuff because she's obviously uh, swayed very easily. Uh, I don't understand the, I don't <laughs> How do you have that level of reaction to that? I, I, I don't know. It is not that doesn't shake the ground for me. Not like that. Please read that entire letter. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read a letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think. Because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. Oh. And a lot of people are. You see, you know how I know this is a bunch of bunk and BS and a bunch of information warfare? Because the language is all similar. I'm going through an existential crisis right now. They're using the word existential, which means it's like, it's blowing up my world. My very existence has been shattered because of this. It's so mind-opening. It's so revelatory. I just can't believe that it has changed my entire life. You must read this. You are so full of crap. Oh. So I just need someone else to be feeling this too. I need you to stop what you're doing and go read Do A you? Letter to America. Oh. It is literally the craziest thing I've read in a while. And while I can't you say know. that I'm that surprised, I am pretty shocked. So go read it and tell me what you think because I really also need- Oh, and tell me what you think. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a uh, click builder, clickbait. Talk to other people about this. And actually, before you even read the letter, I did want to mention in reading the letter, I could only think of this tweet that I saw the other day. Under settler colonialism, any kind of resistance is branded as terrorist because the only acceptable violence is violence by the occupier. So this is... Ah! Really? If the only acceptable violence is the violence by the occupier, then why is it... That's such a load of crap. <laughs> it's just such a load of crap. Who's been held more accountable for violence than the colonizers all around the world? Whether it's in South Africa and farmers who are under attack there in the, uh, in the aftermath of apartheid, farmers murdered. Or how about our prime minister? apologizing repeatedly prime ministers in Canada apologizing repeatedly for various moments in history that just don't live up to today's neoliberal woke anti-colonialist ideological standard repeatedly what about Israel right now <laughs> the protests in the streets do those people think that it's acceptable for Israel to be engaging in the, the attacks in Gaza? No, I'm not dismissing that or uh, advocating for it. I'm, 
I'm trying to hold them account for that. The main, even the mainstream media has been highly critical of Israel's response in Gaza. I'll tell you this, though. Be careful what you believe. All the casualty numbers coming out of Gaza come from the health authority there. That's controlled by Hamas. And there's no way to verify those numbers accurately. So whether you're talking to the World Health Organization, other governments, any organization that is has tasked itself with trying to verify those numbers of deaths, they've admitted that they have no real way to know for sure if those numbers are accurate. All I've been able to glean from what I've been reading and absorbing from all of that is that they're saying they 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 think that they're acting in good faith when they're sharing these numbers with the international community and the media. I doubt it. Are you kidding me? I seriously freaking doubt it. I wouldn't believe any of that information. There is no way to know how many people have actually died. They're just giving numbers, and they're in the thousands. Is it true? Don't know. We probably will never know for sure. They have every reason to lie because we are in an information war. And look at the crap that is coming out of both sides in terms of information warfare propaganda. People just making stuff up, saying things, some truth, some of it's true, some of it isn't. They're absolutely, completely fabricated videos and memes coming out of there. We've seen all kinds of images generated by artificial intelligence, images of what appear to be like fathers carrying kids or adults carrying kids on foot in sandals or in bare feet through <laughs> through rubble. And then you look closer and you see that the kids have six fingers. And then people have said to me, well, that proves that those images are fake. Yeah. Obviously. And clearly produced with artificial intelligence technology. But then I thought about it. And you know what I think that really is? It's double reverse information psychological warfare. If you want to demonize your opponent, one of the things that you do is you dehumanize them. And there's been a lot of rhetoric on both sides about, well, there's been a lot of information out there about aliens, right? Aliens. And if you want to convince someone to kill someone, you dehumanize them to the point where you think that they're not even human makes it a lot easier to kill someone if you think that they're an alien. So you're seeing pictures come out. And I, this is just, this is not a fact. This is just me assessing it and throwing out a possible reason, a theory, if you will. 
not so much a conspiracy because it's happening. It's actually happening. This is an explanation as to maybe why. It could be that the computer's making a mistake when creating these artificially, these, these artificial intelligence generated images, which are clearly fake. But then you think about it. If the computer is smart enough to be able to generate the image to begin with, don't you think the computer is smart enough to know that human beings have five fingers or four fingers and a thumb to be more accurate? Is the computer really that stupid that it made a mistake and created an image with kids or adults or people with two arms in some cases that I've seen? Or and it's strategically located, so you can't can't really tell. It's just kind of like that's a little bit weird. Um, where's that extra arm coming from with a bunch of people kind of all grouped together? And then you realize that that person has a third arm or this this person has an extra finger or two or a three-finger claw. It's being done on purpose, in my view, to make people view the people in the images as less than human, aliens. And if you're way down the rabbit hole and you've been subjected to the psychological warfare to that level, to that degree, you're going to view that and even subliminally, you're going to pick up on that. You're going to absorb it. And it's going to reinforce visually what you are already thinking in your mind because these ideas have been implanted in there using powerful psychological manipulation. This is modern warfare. I'm very certain. I can't sit here tonight and prove that because I don't know who made those things. You're not supposed to really know. But this is going on on all sides. And, and I can tell you, too, from the style of everything that I'm seeing in this media landscape populated with this information warfare these posts, social media, social media is the main battleground for it. And as I sit and I look at this stuff, the style is very similar from news cycle to news cycle, from one world event to another. As I see this kind of information being produced, I'm getting to the point where I can say, uh-huh, that one coming from a similar source and that one's coming from a similar source. Because there are many players. There are I can't say what the source is, but you can see that there are certain groupings of posts that have very similar characteristics. It's a style. Videos and still images, both. Doesn't take too long. You start to recognize patterns. If you really know how to look at, analyze media. Not organic. These videos, <laughs> pretty slick, but uh, you got to get up pretty early in the morning to fool all the birds. Is that a, I don't even, I don't know where I came up with that. Okay. I messed that up. Point is, you're not going to fool me all the time. All right. You, especially early on. When this new technology started rolling out, yeah, I got burned a little bit. I've, I got burned with some fake videos, but I'm catching on. 
fucking insane. I just read Osama bin Laden's letter to America, which I will be going through right here, but it's actually so mind fucking to me that terrorism has been sold as this idea to the American people. And honestly, just so many Western inhabitants within certain nations that this group of people, this random group of people just suddenly wakes up one day and just fucking hates you, just wants you dead, wants you gone. And this is all because they believe that they're better than like that is the root of terrorism. It doesn't make sense. They just hate your fucking nation. But reading this letter, it becomes apparent to me that the actions of 9-11 and those acts committed against the USA and its people were all just the buildup of our government failing other nations. So you see, it's, when it comes right down to it, it's, it's, it's all our own fault. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of your country. I'm not saying that, I'm not defending everything that our government does done, but you need to understand things in the full context. You know, everything I've been seeing today, just about everything, especially in the, um, in those who are embracing this. They're like, uh, they're finding justification for what Osama bin Laden did. Here's the thing. If, Osama bin Laden is accepting and embracing responsibility for the 9-11 attacks. Then that kind of blows up the whole narrative, doesn't it? That the United States did it to itself, that it was an inside job. It was a false flag attack. So which is it? I'll tell you, the false flag attack narrative is designed to make the United States the bad guy, no matter what is to undermine confidence in the system and government and institutions and even make you hate yourself. Oh, it's the corrupt government. We just, they did it just so we could go and kill them all over there. Yeah. There's some weird things around nine 11 to be sure, but. Uh, which way do you want it? Because I don't think you can have it both ways here. If you're going to embrace this, then Osama bin Laden is responsible for 9-11. He's also responsible for a lot of other terrorist attacks, anyway you slice it. And the United States is responsible for doing some very stupid things, for playing both sides off against the middle, for creating... bad situations, but I'll tell you, um, that happened as well, uh, in an environment where the other side should not be getting a free pass. Afghanistan. Is that all the United States fault? Mm-hmm. If you go back and you look at what was going on in history and you go back to the seventies, Who was in Afghanistan before the United States? Russia. 1979, Russia in Afghanistan. How did the United States respond? Well, first of all, why was Russia in there? Well, it depends on who you talk to. I would say Donald Trump was 
when he was in office and even now, if you ask him, he'll say it's because, as I recall, they were, there were terrorists going into Russia. And so Russia was justified in going into Afghanistan. They should have been there. I think that's basically his take on it. Probably a little more than that. But it wasn't just that. Russia was in there because they were trying to prop up communists. This is, you know, the former Soviet Union. So they went in there to try to prop up communists. And they were at war. And the United States and allied countries responded because they saw that as a threat. In reality, what was going on is it was the last battleground, really, physical battleground of the Cold War. That's what was happening in Afghanistan at the time. So the conflict between the Soviet Union and the United States was played out in in a very real sense there. And the United States did it as a sort of a proxy war. And they went in and they funded the Mujahideen. Who went in and they were fighting the Russians. And the Russians had a real rough time in there. They were not successful and eventually they pulled out. And when the United States decided to go in, I remember I was alive. (laughs) That's how old I am. I remember there were some people sounding alarm bells saying, not a good idea. Russia had a rough time in there. What makes you think that you're going to go in and experience anything different? Because the way they fight there, uh, it's going to drag on for a long time. Not wise to go in. And I'll tell you this, this is something else that people are not aware of. As I remember, this is how strange geopolitics can be and is. How weird. You know who else was helping to fund that? China. Oh, on the American side. They were also funneling weapons and money to the Mujahideen. I don't even understand it, okay? But it was going on. And it was very quiet. No doubt some sort of a backroom deal made. Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know that old saying, right? And yet what's going on here tonight with this letter and the reaction, the viral, uh, you know, the viralness of this this whole thing? Well, it's, it's turned that whole thing upside down, hasn't it? Where now we have... Not the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Now it's just, it's like, if I could take that phrase and flip it around, it would be the enemy of my country is now, for some people on the neoliberal woke side in particular, and even some others, just anybody who embraces the whole, our government is to blame for everything perspective these days, coming off the pandemic where there's no trust or faith or confidence in our government system, institutions, nothing. It's all been obliterated, which also I think is part of the strategy where we don't have religion. We don't have a moral compass anymore. There's no patriotism. People hate their own country. They hate themselves. They hate their history. So now it's the enemy of my country is my hero. I'll take it a step further and I'll tell you that I'm seeing actual posts where some people think that Russia is going to come here and China come here to save us. 
And this is coming from people who are talking about establishing through the like freedom movements or patriot movements or QAnon or whatever movement you might be part of sort of on that side of the political spectrum. They're talking about it in terms of, um, you know, forming a new republic, especially in Canada. But I'll tell you, those folks, they either don't understand what they they mean by a republic. I think they're thinking something similar to what's in the United States. But no, I think really where the, the, that they want this ends up being taken is like a communist republic. Like the People's Republic of China. <laughs> okay? Be careful what you ask for. You might just get it. And how do you get that without firing a shot? You just disrupt things, wreck things with this kind of information warfare. Wow, has this one been successful? Another really good one. It's fantastic. And wow, is it filled with Nazi stuff. You know what? Um, you become Nazi enough and you might just give Vladimir Putin the justification he needs to come in here and denazify not just Ukraine, but North America. Wouldn't that be something? How about that? Would you, would you like him to come here and save you from all the Nazis? Oh, just in case you're not paying attention. If you embrace that letter from Osama bin Laden, you might just find yourself on the hit list. We should all be very careful about the choices we make right now, because, you know, first they've, you know, they're coming for the Jews first right now. Okay. This is a twist and sick everything is. And those very people who are encouraging people to come for the Jews, they'll be coming for all of you later. Guaranteed. If it gets that far. Because you're the Nazis. They're making you into them. They're turning you into their soldiers. In your minds. By encouraging you to read that crap. They're indoctrinating you. Turning you. Not just against your own government. But against your system. Against your democratic. The democratic system. They're turning you against democracy. They're turning you, honestly, folks, against yourselves. And Osama bin Laden makes it very clear that America will pay with the blood of Christians. First, they came for the Jews. Look it up. Christians. Has there ever been a religion more persecuted in time than the Jews and the Christians? Better start really waking up. I know you got one eye open. Better open the other one. Better open them both. Don't take the blue pill. Don't take the red pill. They're both an illusion. <laughs>
the sharing of bias and false, false news has become all too common on, on social, social media. media. More alarmingly, some media in an ocean of lies a century deep, the truth awaits. Choose not the red pill. Choose not the blue pill. For both are an illusion. Discover the power of M. The power of individuality. We are mavericks. We are the way to the light. Fear not the storm. Join our quest for truth. Truth will set you free. Maverick News. The world is watching. Let's bring in our guest of honor tonight. There he is. Derek, how are you? Good. How are you, Rick? I'm just fine, sir. Thank you so much for joining us on the program again tonight. It's my pleasure. This seems to be a second home for me. So it's always good to <laughs> come back good. and have a chat with you. Yeah. So uh, it, it's an exciting time for you because the uh, the new book that you've been working on is now finally out there and uh, is for sale. It is indeed. We um, We had our last book about the Young Kids Guide to Grooming hit, but we really wanted to put something out this year that was uh, a direct sequel to the first book that we launched, How the Prime Minister Stole Freedom. Uh, so we wanted to do something that was kind of giving back to the fans, giving back to everybody that enjoyed that book. People enjoy the ideas that we've run for the last year or so. And, uh, you know, they kept saying, you know, are we ever going to see another prime minister style book? And I said, you know what, let's go back to what made us great. Let's, let's do something fun. Uh, there's plenty of jokes to get out of the well. And, and we've thrown that into this book today. So, uh, we just launched yesterday and, and, uh, it's doing well so far. So I'm, I'm happy that people are getting their hands on it. So that's great. So again, the title of this is, so I don't get it screwed up. You tell us. It's, it's how the prime minister broke Canada. Okay. And so I'm going to bring this up. It is, I know that it's not available just on Amazon. You're selling it direct as well. Yeah. So a lot of people had asked, uh, anytime I do these interviews or anytime I'm on other channels or even my own channel on YouTube, people are saying, look, is there any way to purchase these books outside of Amazon? Because, you know, people either don't, don't like to support Amazon or they don't have accounts set up with Amazon. And I'd been working on that for quite some time as to how we could make that run. Unfortunately, part of the problem with procuring those books is I have to get them from Amazon and then find a way to ship them out to people who want them. So unfortunately, there is a cost to that. So what we did was we we basically are making the same profit we were making from Amazon. But we've we've said this is a direct way to support us. So what I've done now is included shipping in all prices on our site, uh, Canada-wide, so it's free shipping when you make a purchase. And every single book bought there comes signed from myself so that you're getting a little bit of bonus for having to pay a little bit extra. That's awesome. So tell us, what is the, the storyline in, in this particular book? So the premise of this book is essentially that the prime minister, where we left him off at the other, uh, in how the prime minister stole freedom, was he was voted on no confidence and he was told to leave. So what unfortunately happens when there's a vote of no confidence is there's time 
before uh, people are removed from office or move ahead in their lives. So the prime minister had time to still kind of mess around with the country a little bit and uh, try to convince people that, you know, he should stay. So essentially in this book, uh, we have him jet setting around the world as the carbon king uh, on his private jet. He attends the queen's funeral. Of course, he makes a stop at the, uh, the, the European parliament, uh, as well as a, a little trip to India for the G20 summit where he embarrasses himself heavily as well. Uh, so we've got him kind of going all over the place while people are telling them what they really think of him and uh, him begging for a second chance to stick around. It's, it's quite a fun story. So it's timely. I mean, it was just, was it yesterday? He was at that restaurant in Vancouver where he was again, mm -hmm. you know, heckled. And I, I don't know if he was quite swarmed, but over 200 protesters out there, they had to, Vancouver police had to send 100 police officers to the scene yep. to protect him. Well, and my question is, is how's that going to affect the taxpayer? How much is that going to set people back for, for this kind of security and going forward? What kind of security is he going to be saying he requires if this is going to be the norm? I, I, I think the problem, when you look at everything that's going on, and when it comes to Israel-Palestine, I try to stay out of it. I think Canada should stay out of it. Mm -hmm. um, just because there's, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. Yep. Um, but, but the problem with Justin Trudeau and what we're starting to see is that his woke ideologies are starting to fold on him. And they're kind of starting to eat their own, so to speak that he can't escape the people that he was once championing that are now asking for him to call for ceasefires for him to do, you know, basically they're bidding and he can't, he's, he's backed into a corner. And I really think that this is the start of the end of, uh, of Justin Trudeau. I think so too. Um, I've been saying, and I, you know, we've been hearing rumblings that he might resign uh, early in the new year. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Well, I mean, there's been, so there were rumblings over the summer going on that we might've seen a fall election. I thought that was a little too premature, but if you look at the behavior of Pierre Polyev, even folks like Maxime Bernier, during the summer, they were kind of all moving around, Trudeau even taking press conferences. I kind of thought they were getting into that mode where it's, hey, we're getting on the campaign trail. We're going to start early. We'll take the summer to get out there, so to speak. Um, but as Pierre moves on with his rallies right now, and when you see the carbon tax cut off, or carve out, I guess you could call it, in, in the eastern provinces on heating oil. Um, of course, that conveniently happened right when Pierre Polyev was doing his rally in Newfoundland, uh, and, the, and the liberals are losing seats. So I, I think we're getting closer to what could be an election, um, or, or at least a push for an election. When you see Jugmeet Singh and the NDP start to side with the Conservatives when it comes to asking for the rest of Canada to get an exemption on, on things like natural gas heating and other forms of heating in their homes, um, I, I think we could be in a position where before Trudeau could actually step down and have a replacement take take his position that uh, we might see an election called maybe by February, March. I, it's tough to say. In politics, it could always change, right? So it's it's I'm going to be anxious to see what happens in the new year one way or another. So I've been saying I, I think Trudeau will resign. I think that he okay. will step aside as leader. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Because we've seen some criticism coming from within the parties. I think there are people there who are lining up to take a run at the leadership if, if they can get him to step aside. Right. So we've seen last, it was either last week or the week before that we've seen one of um, Jean Chrétien's former uh, MPs come forward or one of his former uh, cabinet members come forward to suggest that Trudeau should resign. And of course, Trudeau in his usual narcissistic fashion says, I wish him well. Um, I'm not going to be doing that anytime soon. The, the problem with Justin Trudeau is I think that he lacks uh, the ability to recognize his own hubris. And I don't think that he has the ability to 
look at himself and say, I'm going to step down. I've got a sneaking feeling that he's just going to ride this out uh, with some kind of plan uh, to try and, and again, that's what we do in this book is that he, he just has these plans drawn up to say, I got to stick around. I got to find a way to stick around. I think that in his twisted little world, he's generally convinced even with pressure from his own party, that he stands a chance to remain at the helm. And when it comes to stepping down, I almost hope he doesn't because I mean, the next person in line is Christian Freeland. Mm -hmm. And I shudder to think what, you know, two years of Christian Freeland could look or a year and a half before we get into election mode for an official election. So uh, I mean, hopefully I, it's the one time I'm going to say, I hope he doesn't resign, <laughs> but we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see where it goes. Wow. Well, yeah. Freeland. What, what is it about her that scares you most? Uh, well, if you notice recently, she was in a press conference and she's got that jitteriness about her where mm -hmm. she's kind of all over. Like you see her kind of going like this and like that and then crossing her arms. And <laughs> I start to wonder what she's on, but at the same time, she clearly, she's the same as Justin Trudeau. She has no idea how to balance a budget. She has no idea how to work with money. She has no idea, um, how the world works in terms of economy or, or what people need. They're in that same liberal state where it's we're going to do what we're doing we don't care what people have to say we don't care what people are you know requesting from us um I, i've even been shocked when i see that you know bridges are starting to get blocked off by protesters right now and i even said you know a bunch of people parked their trucks in ottawa and justin okay. trudeau used the emergency measures act to to stomp all over protesters and now we're seeing protesters from different religions will say blocking bridges and, and, and throwing rocks and causing scenes, making him leave restaurants. Nobody's calling for those things within his party because they can't afford to. Um, it just makes me wonder again with somebody like Freeland who doesn't seem to have all the lights on, what could we expect if she was in charge? It's scary. Yeah. It seems like what we're seeing on the streets right now is more of a threat to, to Canada overall than mm -hmm. anything that we saw from, the uh, the freedom convoy or the truckers. Uh, the problem is numbers, right? It, it was the same issue with the freedom convoy that that you know Justin Trudeau's infamous line is a small fringe minority with unacceptable views, and it was sadly mistaken once they showed up and actually parked their trucks in Ottawa and they seen the numbers with with the number of of um, we'll say landed immigrants in the country. Uh, there's a lot of people. There's there's power in numbers, and we're seeing it in every major city right now as protests are ongoing. People are feeling threatened. I know in Calgary, like even my wife commutes to work on the train every morning. She's actually requested I drive her now because she's almost afraid to be walking around downtown. Um, there's there's situations where people are screaming in businesses at each other, um, and and again, the whole world's a stage. I was always told that you know politics and religion were the two things you should never discuss in public, and when Trudeau took office, politics kind of became the popular thing to talk about, but now it feels like religion's coming a part of that as well. And, you know, I was always told that there's three topics you're never going to win an argument on, and that's religion, politics, and everything else. <laughs> it's very true. It's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. And you speak of numbers. I did see a report that in the past year, security for Justin Trudeau has cost Canadian taxpayers $30 million. Yeah, I'd expect that to double after this restaurant debacle. Yeah, I'm worried as well that uh, that the <laughs> I'm worried because there's even though all this is going on, they keep letting him walk out into crowds, and mm -hmm. he is 
constantly confronted by people who are enraged. I'm very right. worried. I don't I don't want him hurt. I don't want him attacked. Mm -hmm. I don't want him killed. That would be a disaster. Not not just for him, but for the country and for right. I think, you know, that would be a disaster for anybody who advocates for freedom. Well, and that's, so I think though, that that's sometimes like, I don't think he wants to get injured or hurt, but I think that's almost what they prefer sometimes is, is for that. Um, when you look at the divisiveness he's caused, when you look at him separating everybody into groups, it's always by, um, whether, you know, you'd had procedures or not during lockdowns, whether, um, you were a landed immigrant or somebody who's always been here, who's privileged, whether, you know, you're, you're, flying a certain flag of beliefs in terms of your sexual preferences. He likes to divide everybody into their little groups. So the more angry people get, the more he seems to win because it allows him to write a blank check when it comes to pushing policy. So with the Freedom Convoy, he had the truckers there and he had a bunch of people who believed in certain medical procedures that, that he said, you know, I can use that as a tool to get people on my side. I can say, look at them pushing us, look at them, yeah. um, you know, making a sham out of, out of keeping people safe. And it allowed him to invoke the emergency act. It allowed him to put in policies like freezing bank accounts. If they continue to allow people to behave like this in the streets, we're going to see something, I think, akin to what you see in the U S last summer that they called the summer of love, where it was all, people, you know, smashing windows and looting businesses to the point where um, the government used that to weaponize Donald Trump and say, look at how bad Donald Trump is. He allowed these things to happen. I sometimes wonder if that's the reason they allow this to go on. Um, a lot of people that I talk to in the community say, well, it's because it's religion based and it's because those are a lot of his voters. Those are people who stand in his corner. So he doesn't want to upset them. But I honestly think a lot of it is to give him the excuse to have a blank check to continue with the nefarious bills, the nefarious um, policies that he wants to put forward, because he seems to use those as an excuse every single time. It's wedge politics. You know, he did. He's I think they do polling, psychographic mm -hmm. research. They identify specific issues that they know are hot buttons for certain people to get people jacked up. And yeah. like you say, divided. And uh, yeah. I think it, it has worked. But do you think that that same strategy can continue to work for him heading into the next election? It feels like he always has something in his back pocket. Yeah, well, and again, that's what makes me question it. Because if you look at the last election, again, that was done during the pandemic. It was done during lockdowns. If, if I were to compare election styles, when you look at what happened with George Bush after 9-11, um, he essentially used fear as a tool in order to get elected again. It was, you know, if you vote, I believe it was John Kerry who ran against him in that election, but it was, yep. if you vote for John, John Kerry, you're going to have more attacks on American soil. You're going to have more, more terrorism issues and things like that. He used fear as a tool to get his second term as president. Justin Trudeau used the fear of, of medical tyranny to secure his seat in an early election the last time around. That's where the, the infamous speech of him saying, you don't want to get on a plane or a train with these people. He, he used it to his advantage. And I believe that he had that planned in order to gain his seats. He saw the amount of support um, in the regions that he needed his votes versus the rest of the country. Because let's face it, when it comes down to the actual vote, when you look at per capita, it's that little pocket of Ontario and then parts of Quebec that really matter in terms of their seats. So I'm guessing they look at the demographics and they've got a plan saying, if we appeal to this audience 
and we say these speaking points, we can divide people enough and still get their votes and stay in power. So your guess is as good as mine as to what he's got planned out of this. But I, I feel like he has something planned or else he'd be attacking this head on and doing something to shut this down. Yeah, um, it, the liberals, they have a big budget. They have a lot of people there doing research. It's almost like market research, but it's mm -hmm. uh, polling. They they're not stupid, man. Like, and they've got time if they want it, right? Because they mm -hmm. they could stretch this out easily until the end of next year, even if they wanted to, before they have Absolutely. to call an election. So, a lot can change in politics. What are you, what do you think are the going to be the main issues driving things forward in in the the coming months? Well, Pierre Polyev said it specifically after the last vote that this is going to be a carbon tax election. I think it's going to come down to affordability for people and money. Um, when you look at scandals like the Kielbergers and when you look at um, the Waffen SS thing in the House of Commons, I, I think that those things are easily forgettable that, you know, people tend to move on after a while. And when it comes to elections, they forget about those things. When you look at your own bank account, you look at your lifestyle and you start saying, look, every time I pay my mortgage and my car payments and my bills, I've got $200 left in my bank account. People don't forget that when they go to the polls. So I think a lot of it's going to revolve around affordability, economy, um, housing, um, carbon taxes, basically anything that's going to make people's lives more affordable than it currently is. And when you look at the liberals right now and what they're announcing and what they're talking about, even when it comes to things like uh, today's overrun or overturn on the, the plastics ban, um, they're saying, well, we're going to, we're going to, you know, appeal that decision. It's costing factories in Alberta billions of dollars to, to have those plastics banned when we could get better GDP by allowing it. So clearly, again, the liberals don't have any idea about economy. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of people, the majority of Canadians, even those who used to vote liberal are just sick and tired of living paycheck to paycheck. And I think that's going to be the killing factor in, in this next election, or at least why most people who even don't usually vote might want to vote in this election. It seems like he, he just, the liberals just push things too far. Like they don't know when to quit the plastics ban being like one of those things. I don't think it's a, a popular thing with people, the carbon tax, not a popular thing with people at all. Right. And it's, these things are coming back now to kind of bite them on the butt. So I've always said, and I, I say it lots of times in my videos, uh, if you want to, if you look for an analogy of what I think a politician is, they're pigs at a trough. They'll continue to eat until they burst. They never get full. And that's kind of what you're seeing with the liberals is that there's never really a solid plan to say, okay, we've done enough. Let's taper off a little bit. Let's regroup and try to strategize as to how we, you know, keep our seats and how we, you know, move forward as a party. They kind of just go full bore with everything they want to do. Um, and unfortunately, for those who maybe don't vote conservative or don't want conservative, when you look at the current polling, it's very apparent at this point that Pierre Polyev, whether you like him or hate him, is going to be the next prime minister of Canada. But the reason he's going to get that opportunity so easily, I think, is because the liberals had everything to lose and they just went full on it without considering the consequences. And, and the conservatives are going to take full advantage of that in the next election. What's the, what's it like out there in Calgary in terms of um, peace, order and good government? Uh, when I when I say that, I mean, when we're looking at big cities in Canada, like Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, you, you go on with with the amount of immigration that we've had, uh -huh. the the housing issues, the inflation. We, we're seeing different religious groups, you know, 
butting heads coming mm-hmm. together even in the streets we're seeing conflict what's it like out there specifically in calgary you mentioned your wife doesn't really like to take the uh the you know public transit now right so the problem in calgary right now and the one thing that people can't wrap their heads around but i'll give a little context is that we have a liberal mayor uh i, I call her the failed mayor jody gondek but she she took power in office in a city of 1.6 million people with only 175,000 votes. Now, a lot of people say, how did she get in? I didn't vote for her. I don't know how she got in. This other uh, Kevin Farkas was was miles ahead in polls to be mayor. And then suddenly there's big donations from, from we'll just say special interest groups. And all of a sudden she takes the seat. I've stood on the fence a long time to say she was placed. I don't believe that it was a fair election. Um, now, I'm not pulling a Donald Trump and saying there was you know, ballots messed around with or anything. I just think money talks at the end of the day. And um, when, when you look at Calgary, it's a, it's a beautiful, gorgeous city. Um, it's always been very conservative. Uh, but as over the years have gone, when we see the, the, the mass flooding of immigrants, when we see people moving here from Eastern provinces like Ontario and Quebec, um, we're starting to get a little bit more left-leaning politics into the city. And you see that in cities like Edmonton that are typically now voting the majority NDP. Um, So when it comes to Calgary, our mayor, since she's mostly in favor of Trudeau's policies, we have an exponentially exploding crime rate right now um, where Danielle Smith actually had to step in last summer and bring in extra police just to monitor train stations in town because Jody Gondek wasn't doing her job. We're, We're seeing people getting stabbed waiting for the train. We're seeing people... Uh, walking past bus shelters in the wintertime. And God forbid, you know, somebody's unfortunate enough, they have to live on the streets. But you see a lot of drug addicts in these heated shelters with bonfires, urinating in corners, beating each other up, shooting up with different drugs. And the police are right across the street in some instances and nothing is happening. And 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 that's just a testament to liberal policy of this catch and release and, and no consequences for, for vile actions. Uh, it's part of the reason I'm running in the next election is because as a citizen, I've stood back and said, we can't do this anymore. We just, this city was fantastic. It was great. It's a beautiful town. Um, much like cities like Vancouver, where you see tent cities and Hastings being overrun with, with people living on the streets and addicted to drugs. Um, if it's going to take a citizen to step in and stop it versus a politician, so be it. But I think the consensus around town is that people have had enough and, uh, they can't wait to see her gone. I know that for a fact. I don't think she'll she'll get another seat, regardless of who runs against her in the next election, because I won't be the only one. But uh, whoever takes that spot, I can almost guarantee you, unless there's uh, unless there's a bit of treachery at foot, um, she she doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell of becoming the mayor again. So, what specifically would you do if you were a mayor that might be different? Well, for one, I want to audit the police force. I want a full audit of the Calgary police force. Um, we have police in town that a lot of them followed unethical orders during lockdowns that I would want a full investigation to say, look, I understand some people were trying to feed their families, keep their jobs. Um, and I'm not going to discount that, but there are a lot of people who take on a job and they don't enjoy or want the job and they abuse their privileges. I would want to get rid of any police that aren't interested in actually policing. Um, and I, and if that's higher ups as well, then fair enough. I would hire people who want the job. There's lots of people out there looking to make an income uh, that are qualified. So I would happily bring in those police versus some that we currently have. Um, I think part of the problem in Calgary is that Jody Gondek and Nahid Nenshi, uh, when they were in power, ran a lot of businesses out of downtown with overpricing on taxes. 
she just announced a $2.2 million statue uh, to be built in, in front of a convention center in town while people are homeless in droves and starving and can't afford food. Food banks are at their highest rate. So what I'd like to see is to start getting rid of NGOs in town and trim the fat of useless money that's spent out. Because I'm sure at some point we could actually look at start saying, what if we were a town that didn't charge business taxes? Where we, we trim the fat, we get rid of all the useless spending, we cut programs that don't need to be in place that are just benefiting friends of friends and bureaucracy. And we start saying, let's set up a, 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 a policy in town that we don't charge for business tax, we charge very little for property tax. Um, and, and it would encourage business to come back into Calgary. We have one of the highest vacancy rates in Canada right now in our downtown core. And we used to be bustling with oil and gas companies, uh, people coming here wanting to make an impact in Calgary. Uh, and after talking with folks like Sarah Palin, she instructed me as to how she did it when she was the mayor uh, before governor in Alaska. And she actually made it where uh, her city had no income tax or no uh, property taxes and no business taxes at all. So, so she showed me the structure of how that works. And I honestly believe with the amount of money that we waste in government, it could easily be done in Calgary. And if we could do it here, hopefully that encourages other cities to get on board with that as well. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty bold. So if you're not collecting taxes, like almost to the point of zero for business taxes, mm -hmm. where do you replace that income? Is, are you getting that back in some other way because of growth? So there's growth and then there's federal funding or provincial funding, right? Your city gets so much in its budget from the province every year. But the biggest problem is that when you look at $2 million art projects, when you look at studies that are done online, um, study groups that are being made where people are running these, these silly studies about gender ideologies and, and how do you feel in your workspace? And we're, we're hiring staff and paying out pensions that just have no business, um, existing. When you look at, uh, the homeless population in Calgary will say, I'll just shoot it off and say, let's say there's um, 10,000 homeless in Calgary. And that's just a figurative number. For those 10,000 in Calgary, there's probably 12 different businesses that are in charge through the city of running homelessness issues when you could narrow that down to two or three and take away all this overhead that we're spending on services that aren't benefiting the homeless. We could plug money into having the appropriate facilities, having appropriate resources for the homeless to give them the help that they need, but also putting more money back into the city that we're not throwing out, which would make up for the taxes that we're cutting in the end. So um, again, after speaking with Sarah Palin, she she showed me how to outline that. And I, I, again, when I'd have to do more research into Calgary's NGOs and wasted money, but I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility. Um, when you look at income tax, I mean, that started roughly after the first world war. Yeah. Um, and it was required to pay back war bonds. It, it was a temporary measure that we're still paying over a hundred years later. I think the problem is, is that government doesn't want to give up power. And, um, I've, I've always lived on the, the, the joking premise that all taxation is theft, but, but I also know that you do need money to make the world go around, but if we could make it work and make things more affordable for people, that's my top priority. I, I see no reason in this city why people are paying three quarters of a million dollar for a house and why people, when they're done paying their mortgages are broke. So enough is enough. I think people need to start having the ability to save again, uh, the ability to put their kids in programs after school and the ability to maybe go on a vacation once a year or something, you know, like it's it, enough is enough. Well, we've seen the federal government um, come forward with a huge infusion of cash for Quebec mm -hmm. uh, where the, provincial government there is also matched 
the federal contribution. So it's $1.8 billion they're spending on housing projects, government housing projects uh, to address the housing shortage, which is being exacerbated by massive immigration, which we're going to see even more of because of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Uh, You know, I think Trudeau said we're, you know, poised to take an additional 500,000 Palestinian refugees. He's prepared to Mm -hmm. do that maybe in the coming year. Uh, Mm -hmm. What about Calgary? Are you experiencing similar kinds of stresses and problems? And how does that relate to what's going on in Quebec? Because not every province is getting this federal funding. So what you're seeing going on, and Pierre Polyev talked about it last weekend, was these are... When you look at the money that's going in, and I'm not discounting what's going on in Quebec because that's been well documented, but in a lot of cities, they're starting to talk about, look at all this federal money that's being given uh, for housing projects, for for building projects to get past red tape. Pierre Polyev had shown that these are actually bribes that are going to mayors for photo ops on projects that already existed. Um, so we're seeing that houses were already slated to be built and not a single one has been completed or finished. And the Liberal government's just coming in and floating you know, $25 million to a mayor or something saying, let's get a photo op. It makes us look good um, when nothing essentially is happening. The, the problem we have in this country, and and look, I've said for a long time, Canada is one of the freest countries in the world, aside from policies Justin Trudeau's put forward. Um, and, and one thing that we've always strived on is immigrants. You know, if you want to work, if you want to get your hands dirty, and if you're prepared to you know, leave whatever problems you have and come here to make a home for yourself. One can be provided so long as you're willing to, you know, contribute and work. The problem when you look at these 500,000 immigrants, we have a mass immigration problem in this country. And um, I'm on the fence to say that um, I think what the government needs to do, and I've not heard one leader talk about it, including Pierre Polyev, is shut the door for a while and say, look, we got to take care of our own problems first. We're trillions in debt. We have to balance our books. We have to get red tape cleared and houses built and uh, make things more affordable. And when we're in a position to take more immigrants, we will happily take them in. We're not shutting the door altogether, but we got to take care of our own before we take care of everybody else. When you look at 500,000 immigrants coming in over three years, that's the whole population of the city of Calgary coming into this country every three years. That's a lot of people. Like I, I tried comparing that to my wife. Cause anytime I talk about it, my wife says, Oh, you're just, you sound like a bigot or something. Like it's a race thing or something. And I go, no, it's, it's a GDP problem. It's, 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 it's a wealth problem for the people who yeah. live here. It's, 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 if you were to take the whole population of Calgary and I said, you drive around the city and every single person you see on the streets is an immigrant that came here 75% illegally too. I'll say seeking, whether it's seeking asylum, crossing Roxham road, um, you've got, you've got massive problems in your country all after you've printed <laughs> billions of dollars in Serb payments and all kinds of scandals and schemes over eight years and pandemics. I, the, the time is done to stop virtue signaling. And, and I don't yeah. want to be cruel to anybody and say, you can't come here, but, but it, it's kind of like the old saying, when an airplane's going down, you need to secure your air mask first and then take care of your children because you're more capable. It's the same thing with a country. You have to take care of your own, and as soon as you're secure, then open your doors, then have opportunity for people. But currently we're bringing in people, we just have no opportunity for them, and it's bringing us all down. 
I totally agree with that. And even if you look at what's happening in Quebec, that 1.8 billion only gets you 23,000 units. And even with that, I would say that what's the approach to solving the problem? More government intervention? It seems yeah. to me like, be, and, and they're only getting the money if they commit to densification, which is a yep. phrase they keep throwing around. Sounds to me like they're going to build some government housing project slums and then you know, put, push a bunch of people in there living in very condensed shoe boxes or something. It's, uh, it scares the living heck out of me. Well, not only that, but you got to look at Quebec as a province. Like, keep in mind, this is a, well, this is what's been labeled as a have not province. They get $16 billion a year from Alberta at a time when they've shut down energy East, when they've said, we have no interest in oil, we don't care, but we want your money. Um, these are the same guys who voted for the rest of Canada to not get a cut on the carbon tax, even though they don't have carbon tax of their own or, or their own plan, I'll say. Um, <laughs> they have no business taking another billion dollars from the government to build slum housing when they're being given billions and billions a year in transfer payments, in, in cutbacks. Um, again, when you look at the carbon tax, especially how many billions of dollars is that, that Quebec's not paying to the federal government? It's, it's asinine. I, I have always said Alberta's in a position where they've felt like they're backed into a corner where they say Wexit. And, and I don't agree with separation because I love being a Canadian, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I side and understand with every single person who says that because okay. they feel like they have no other option. And, and I, I look at it going, look, if, if you gave Alberta the choice tomorrow, I'm willing to bet a very strong number of population would agree with separation. Quebec has been touting separation for decades and they act like they've separated from Canada, but they still reap all the benefits of being a part of this country without having to pay all the fees and taxes. So it's got to be one or the other. I think it's, it's either time to become a part of the country or shove off and stop taking the money, but something's got to give at some point. Yeah. When they talk about densification, I immediately thought of Calgary because Calgary you know, I've been there a couple of times and the city seems very spread out to me, yep. but I don't know if that's even an issue because you guys have so much space anyway. Um, yep. The city has just naturally spread. I think it's given people there a, a high standard of living. Um, mm -hmm. It's the, you know, sort of the Canadian version of the American dream. It's the, you know, own a house, if you will, and, uh, and be proud of it. Is, yep. is this, um, Am I off the mark here at all? No, it's, it's so Calgary, the people who live here, it's funny because they talk about the price of housing and how expensive it is. But I always say, you know, unless you're comparing to like Red Deer or Edmonton, I always compare to Edmonton because Calgary in terms of size, you can't really compare to Red Deer. But in terms of housing, Calgary has some uh, in the western part of Canada has some of the most affordable housing in the country sitting at roughly, I think the average price of a home somewhere around $500,000, which that's a lot of money. But when you compare it to places like Toronto or Montreal or, or you know, even Ottawa, it, it's really not that bad in comparison that you're not taking 25 years to save up a down payment. We also don't have provincial tax. We, we have some of the lowest business taxes and payroll taxes in the country. So yeah, Alberta has always been the dream. And I'll be honest, there's a multiple times where my wife has looked at the city and said, I love Calgary, but I just can't raise my kids here because things aren't improving. But the question always comes to where do we go? Right. Because it, it doesn't get any better in terms of uh, quality of life. So it's, um, uh, it's up in the air. It's, it's hard to say, but, but it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Quebec. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the liberals. Um, 
I'll wait with bated breath and cover anything that comes forward. But I, I honestly think Trudeau's coming to an end, and I think um, I don't think he'll resign. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe agree to disagree on that one. I don't think he has the humility. But uh, hey, time will tell, right? We'll see where it goes. Yeah, well, I see the pressure there, but I totally understand where you're coming from on his ego. Um, yeah. Just to come back to, to to your run for the mayor's chair, yeah. I know you you announced early. Um, when is the next municipal election in Calgary? So that's coming up in 2025. That'll be in the fall of 2025. Right. So you've got a long, long time to campaign, which can be a real advantage for you, really. Super advantage. It's you know what I've had a lot of time to really get you know all my information together to build start building a team of people that are interested in helping that you know want to contribute that that have the same uh, shared interests. Um, it gives me a chance to also talk to people that could be contributing to a campaign as well, and assure them of where I'm standing as well as where I plan to go moving forward. So instead of just jumping in last minute trying to convince people I'm the real deal, it gives me a few years to kind of get out there, get my name out there and uh, be familiar with people without being in office ahead of time. Uh, if you're familiar with convoy lawyer, Keith Wilson, uh, we sat down for a talk and he says, you know, do you maybe want to run for, um, you know, a council position first? Because he says, you know, the, that mayor's job, it's a tough uphill battle, like to convince 1.6 million people that you're worth that job without holding office. And I said, I don't think it's going to be as hard as people think it's going to be because of who I'm competing against. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I said, uh, I'll take all the time I can get. And I love a challenge. I mean, people, when I got into the book business, people said, do you have any idea how hard it is to write a best-selling book and get on the charts? And I said, watch me do it. And sure enough, we've done it four times in a year. So I, <laughs> I'll take that challenge and I'll be happy to run with it. Um, even if I fail, I was talking to Rob Anders, a former conservative MP in town, and he says, I can give you a hand and we can set it up in a way that even if you lose, we win. And my objective is just simply to point out that Hey, I'm just a guy at the end of the day. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a bureaucrat. I'm not a home developer that's running for office. I'm a regular everyday citizen. And if you guys want change too in your cities, stand up, get involved and, and maybe run yourself. You know, it's not impossible. Yeah. Well, we've seen that happen in some municipalities right here in town. We have somebody who ran locally who is making a huge difference uh, just as a, mm -hmm. as a counselor. So it does matter if you get involved, uh, you can make a difference. One person can make a huge difference. Absolutely. Well, and part of what got me, part of what got me into the race was when I met with Jordan Peterson and we were talking about it because he'd seen my tweet calling out Jody Gondek and he said, were you serious? And I said, no, I was joking. And he says, well, could you be serious? And I said, well, I suppose. And he said, look, in terms of politics, the decisions that affect most people happen at a municipal or provincial level. Right. He says, what you see in federal politics is a small fraction of what affects the masses. You're, you're more affected by what happens in your town and their policies than what Justin Trudeau pushes in Ottawa. Uh, unless, again, we're talking about things like lockdowns. But, uh, <laughs> but he had a valid point. So he says, if you really want to make change, this is where you get in. So that's where I say to anybody who's ever doubted it. If, if you do want to make a change, start at the smaller end, you know, get on a board, um, join a PTA, you know, talk on behalf of a school board, get on city council. If you've got good ideas and people in your neighborhood like what you have to say, the worst thing that can happen is you can fail. So well, that's, that's I don't really, see any reason. That's the strategy that the left wing woke progressives have been employing for years and they've captured our institutions, our, our universities and even our municipal councils. 
that's mm-hmm. what's been going on. You go across the country, every municipal council I see, it's they're they're populated with elected officials who are neoliberal woke progressive types. Yeah. And absolutely. it works. So we need to do the same thing. Just push yeah, back. Yeah, fight and get fire involved. with fire. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just to come back to your book here. Uh-huh. Um Again, where can people purchase this? Not just on Amazon. How can they purchase it directly from you? So they can they can get it on Amazon or they can go to unacceptablefringebooks.com and they can buy direct from me. Again, I ship them out of my, uh, my home office. Um, I, I have told people that if you're ordering the new book from that site, um, demand has been high. So I'm still waiting on shipments. Um, I've guaranteed everybody that orders will ship within 10 days of purchase, not 10 business days, but 10 days of purchase, I will ship your books out or sooner. Um, so my advice to anybody who's wanting this or the bundle or um, anything to do with this book is order soon. So if you're wanting it for Christmas, you're getting it on time. I know the post office gets backed up towards Christmas season. So um, they do make great gift ideas. At least that's what I've been told. I know Danielle Smith sat down for an interview with me today and, and some of her people said they're going to order some of those. So um, they obviously, <laughs> there's obviously interest for Christmas gifts. So jump on it now, get your deals. And uh, I'm happy to sign as many as people want to purchase from that site. Again, all prices include Canada wide shipping. Um, and um Every book comes signed. <laughs> and there's the there's the uh, a screenshot from the the uh, the the video. <laughs> yeah, we took <laughs> we took that Trudeau. from the from the infamous deep fake of Justin Trudeau reading our first book. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing like an endorsement from the PM himself. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so there uh, there again, there's the whole collection of books, I guess. Yeah. And in fact, one that's sitting on there is our special limited edition from last year when we did um, the redacted version of how the prime minister stole freedom. That's um, that was done for the emergency act commission. Now there was a joke going around at the time that, you know, the government submitted all these documents that were redacted. So we added a few lines of text and redacted the first book and put it in black and white to look like government documents. And we put it out as a special edition for people that enjoyed the first book on a limited run. So we only had it available for 30 days and there's less than 500 out there in the wild. So I've got, I think I've got roughly 27 or 28 copies left uh, that I'm signing. So that one's a little higher price just because it's out of print. Uh, But for any collector, it's a collector's item. And once they're gone, I don't have any more because they're out of production. So um, for anybody who enjoys our books and wants a collector's item, that's there for them as well. Uh, But again, act fast because once they're gone, they're gone. And again, this book, this new one, is it, it, it's really directed at adults even more than kids, I guess. Yeah, we've always drawn and, and published our books in the sense to entertain adults. Now, my daughter goes to school with parents who have read the first book that tell me my, my kids read it. They love it. That's up to them. I've always left that to their choice. Aside from the grooming book, um, we've always tried to make our content very based in terms of suitable for any audience. But I, I, I again, I say it every time I come on here, I never, never, never try to indoctrinate or influence kids um, to believe one side of the political spectrum. I, I think it's great for kids as they grow to understand the importance of voting, the importance of politics and how policy affects their day-to-day life. But at the same time, I say kids need to be kids and there's a time for them to take all that in. And it's usually in their teens. So um, whatever parents do is their choice, but I certainly don't push that in this house. Um, and, and again, our audience is always focused on adults. Yeah. 
Well, Derek, is there anything else you'd like to add or think that uh, we might be missing tonight? No, I think you've nailed all the, put all the nails on the head there. And, and uh, other than keep up the great work, I, I love that you've moved over to Rumble. I watch your show all the time, Rick, and I think it's fantastic. I think you're doing a great job and uh, just, just keep doing what you're doing, man. I know it gets tough sometimes. It's, I can't imagine with the trolls and, and uh, you know, censorship and everything else that, you know, you have, probably have your days where it's like, why do I do this? But I, I think you're doing a great job, man. And I commend you for that. And thanks again for having me on. I appreciate being here. Thank you. I, I appreciate those kind words. And again, folks, go to unacceptablefringebooks.com. You can get them from Amazon, but you're probably better off buying them directly from Derek. You get the signature wow. and the autograph. That's it. And, and uh, unacceptablefringebooks.com is the place to go and order early because it would, those books would make great Christmas gifts. Absolutely. Thanks again, Rick. All right. Thank you very much, Derek. Okay, folks, stay with me. I will be right back. We'll take a short break and we'll cover off the rest of the top news stories of the day. Don't go away. We had several other uh, people in the country, even among the Jews, the Zionists particularly, who were. Well, hang on. That was the wrong clip. Somebody put that in there and I didn't even know. But we will run. Which one will we run? What do you want to watch? How about outer space stuff? FreedomReporters.com. That's FreedomReporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind.
and I'm back. And just to kind of cap off that discussion that I was having with you uh, previously about the the TikTok encouragement that people have been um, bombarded with to try and get you to go and read Osama bin Laden's letter to America. Um, there is pushback now, finally today. It started to happen late this afternoon, and I'm seeing, you know, heavy-duty criticism from, you know, some different media outlets, some conserv- people on the conservative side who, uh, and politicians who are calling for, you know, a reaction to this. And as a result, they put pressure on TikTok to do something about this. So the Guardian took the letter down, which, you know, you can have a view on that one way or the other. Um, Is that censorship? Well, they decided to remove it. They said it didn't give full context, so they've left the story up that they had published years ago. Um, But the letter itself has been taken down. It's still online. You can still find it if you really want to go read it. I'm not going to present it here. Um, I've given you, you know, a few highlights from it. Uh, if you want to read the whole thing, feel free. It's out there. Public information um, has been for a long time. But TikTok is now taking a lot of the videos down. Thing to keep in mind is TikTok is Chinese. It's a China-based social media platform, and there have been concerns for a long time about Chinese influence and control over that platform. TikTok being accused early on through this chapter in the information war that, uh, you know, they are manipulating things here, potentially, and and spreading this campaign. I'll call it a campaign. So that's my take on it. And, you know, you can have, there is some truth in that letter. But there's also propaganda and there's a political ideology that weaves its way all through that letter. And it is very, (coughs) excuse me, racist and it promotes violence. I'm not going to sit here tonight and and share all of that information. I'm making you aware of it. Some people want to read that and embrace that. That's your choice. But I'd say that's an effort to radicalize people. And indoctrinate people into a mindset where, yeah, it's encouraging people to be violent. And it's also threatening. It's scaring people. It's a threat to America, that letter. It's a threat to the West. It's if you, peace be with you, if you comply with what we want. If you don't, America will pay with the blood of Christians and their and their, their funds, it says. Their money. This is not to be taken lightly, and people who are embracing this tonight are being, I think, very, very, very um, they're, they're not being served well. They're being misdirected. Brainwashed, maybe? That's what it's about. 
but uh, yeah, getting certainly getting pushback on it. Now, I mean, did that letter he Bin Laden claims that the AIDS epidemic was a satanic American invention, and you know I hear those same kinds of ideas being woven into a lot of the um, online posts that we've been hearing of late. Uh, be careful, folks. Be careful. You know, I think back to the Adolf Eichmann trials. Trial. You know, he uh, he was held accountable. And he said he was just a Nazi administrator. But he's the guy who sort of scheduled the trains and uh, made sure that uh, the Holocaust was run efficiently. He was held accountable. Today, we're all being held accountable for our actions, aren't we? Those who sit there and say that people, <laughs> the, the colonizers are the only ones who are allowed to be violent, they are so lying to you. Nobody's held to a higher standard, I think, today than the West. The colonizers. We, we're, 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 we self-impose a standard of conduct even in war for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that our government has done everything right. No, sir. A lot of things I'd say that our government should have stayed out of, never should have taken the dollar off the gold standard, never should have tied it to the price of oil. We never would have been in this mess had we, you know, stayed away from all that. But there are foreign interests over in the Middle East as well. The reality is, if we just pull out, somebody else is going in to fill in the vacuum. And you know who that's going to be. So don't kid yourself for one minute. Everything you're seeing, everything that we're experiencing, everything we have been going through for the past 100 years, it's a, it's a tug of war, a push and pull. It's the Cold War. It's the it's World War II. It's World War One. It's all the other wars in between. And it's not black and white. And it's not healthy to look at everything through um, a one-dimensional lens, whereby we end up blaming everything on ourselves. If you really want to Think about things properly with a proper perspective. You need to take a broader view. You want to think about what's going on in these countries with Israel, Palestine, Afghanistan, Iraq, all of these countries. Get a broader view and remind yourself that the United States, Canada, NATO, or that's just one group. There's another side to all of this as well. And just try to look at it objectively. You can't just blame everything on one side. Don't give the other side a pass either. Hold them all to account. They're all gangsters in the end. And it's just us small people and down here. We're the ones who end up suffering. Regular, everyday, common people. And, uh, and I'm not advocating for um, 
any kind of communist revolution or heavy duty socialism. Quite the contrary. I think we need a whole lot less government. I think that's really ultimately the solution. That's what I advocate for. I see people all the time on the left side of the political spectrum, many of them my friends, who sit there and criticize the government and say the government screws everything up. And because they're socialists, they think that the solution is to give all the control to the government. I'm like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. No, we need a whole lot less government. Some government, but a whole lot less. Get them out of our lives. Let, let them provide a service. Like I say, let them pick up my garbage on Tuesday. Make sure the roads are paved. Make sure the sewer system is working right. Let them serve us as public servants. The politicians, the bureaucrats, you make sure all those services are provided that we pay taxes for. It's basically a business transaction with you folks. And make sure that the country is safe. The federal government is not just a service corporation, that they have other responsibilities beyond that to keep us safe. That's why, you know, they, we are a sovereign nation. Provide security, but that means securing the borders, okay? It doesn't mean you let us be overrun or welcome every refugee from around the country, around the world, rather, into our country to create a situation where no one is well-served, where we don't have the infrastructure, we don't have enough schools, we don't have enough health care, we don't have enough housing, maybe don't even have enough food to feed everybody for crying out loud the way things are going. Don't have enough public transit, just don't have enough because it's happening too quickly. You need to absorb this and allow the country to grow and build to accommodate everyone coming in. Anyway, let's move on. What else is going on? We touched on that story about the uh, the plastics ban being overturned in court today. Federal court has quashed a cabinet order that uh, listed plastic manufactured items as toxic under the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. So this court decision, which was released today, says it is not reasonable to say that all plastic items manufactured are harmful just you know simply because that category is too broad. This decision has all kinds of implications for the government's ban of six single-use plastic items, including straws, which I really, really miss, um, grocery bags, and takeout containers. So under the current legislation, the government is only really supposed to be regulating substances for environmental protection if they are listed as toxic. And so the regulations banning those items are already being phased in with a ban on manufacturing and importing uh, items under these six different categories that are already outlined and in place under the legislation and a full ban on their sale and export uh, planned by the end of 2025. So this case was brought by the Responsible Plastic Use Coalition. They're the ones who took it to court and several chemical companies that manufacture plastics. And our environment minister, Stephen Guibault, uh, did have a statement, did issue a statement today. Let me see if I can find it here for you. Here it is. 
bring it up so you can see what he had to say. Not a happy camper on this uh, particular issue today. Oh, well, too bad for you, Stephen. Here he is. And I shall read it for you. Statement by Stephen Guibault, Minister of Environment and Climate Change. Canada says, Canadians have been loud and clear that they want action to keep plastic out of our environment. The science is clear. Plastic pollution is everywhere in our environment, harming wildlife and their habitats. There's also a growing body of evidence showing impacts on human health. We strongly believe in taking action to tackle this crisis and keep millions of garbage bags worth of trash off our beaches, out of our waters, and away from nature. That's what we will keep fighting for. The government of Canada is carefully reviewing the federal court judgment and are strongly considering an appeal. We will continue to work with provinces, territories, civil society, and industry to curb plastic waste and pollution. We will have more to say on next steps soon. Well, I take issue with it. I miss my plastic bags. I use them for all kinds of other things. I didn't just throw them away. Always kept them, have for years. Made use of them in a variety of ways afterward. After bringing them home from the grocery store. I miss them like crazy because I always forget to take my reusable bags. I always just have to pile the junk in my shopping cart. Wheel it out to the car, throw it in the in the hatch in the back and then get home and go find a box or something to carry the stuff into the house. That's my own fault for not uh, remembering the, the stupid reusable bag, but I just forget to take it back out to the car when I go, you know, it's just a old habits die hard. I suppose maybe it's just, I'm getting old and set in my ways. That's for sure. But, um, I just think the plastics ban is a little bit misguided. It's a lot of virtue signaling as far as I'm concerned, especially when you see the government sending so much money over to fund foreign wars where they blow things up. That's not good for the environment at all. So it seems to me plastic bags are the least of our worries right now. Um, maybe stop killing people. That might, uh, might be a little higher on their list of priorities. For people who are really committing acts that some people might even consider to be crimes. There's our environment minister, minister of environment and climate change. Yeah, he was arrested at one point. Yeah, he's an environmental. Well, some called him an environmental terrorist, certainly an activist. He climbed the CN Tower at one point to unfurl a big banner. As part of a climate protest. And I would say his views on a lot of these environmental issues are, to say the least, alarmist, extreme. I'd say he is an extremist. And I've said many times, our government right now, well, it's an asylum. <laughs> it's being run by the lunatics. That's what's going on in Parliament right now. We have to change it. We have to get out there and vote, 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 and get those guys out, out, out. It's long overdue. The election can't come soon enough, as far as I'm concerned. Because that guy, he's not helping at all. 
And we talked about um, housing, the housing crisis. Well, here's Christian Freeland, Deputy Prime Minister, Minister of Finance as well, talking about spending even more money uh, to come up with uh, at least short-term solutions to deal with the immigration crisis that the country is facing. For $4.2 I think, that Canada will now be spending on refugees. So here's Christia Freeland confirming what I just told you. The federal government this year is investing more than $4 billion, $4.2 billion in dollars in supporting refugees and asylum seekers. The federal government this year... That's a whole lot of coin, man. 4.2 billion. Yeah, and that 1.8 billion that I talked about for Quebec, 1.8 billion dollars, and you know, it gets you only 23,000 units built. And it's, I, as I understand it, it, those units won't even be built. It will take them at least three to four years just to get them constructed. And they're, the flood of immigration continues massive waves of people coming in record levels every year over the past eight years under Justin Trudeau the additional five that those 500,000 from Palestine that the prime minister has said that he would be willing to take in that's I believe on top of nearly a million new immigrants that the country is already taking in every year a million people. So that will get us up probably closer to a million five. Then you add into that mix, the people are getting into the country illegally. You've got even more. Canada, just like eight, 10 years ago, only had a population of about 30 million. Now we're up to 40 million. I think 42 million, something like that. Close and growing rapidly. And that growth is not coming from people having babies so much it's just new canadians coming in and derek i think is quite right it's not uh, an issue you know the issue is simply one of logistics of um capacity uh, through our systems our government our our services our schools our hospitals our roads our public services and jobs, I mean, that that stuff can come along because as you bring more people in, you know, more people can generate more economic activity, but even that takes time. It needs to be done responsibly. And we need to keep our heads up on this issue. Um, but nothing much is going to change until we get a change in government, and that means getting out to the polls. You know who needs to keep his head up more? This guy here, Joe Biden, didn't really get into this yesterday when he met with uh, Xi Jinping from China, but they did meet. And this picture kind of sums it up, doesn't it? There he is. Unbelievable, man. Like this guy is only half there. Look at what Biden is doing. And Xi Jinping is kind of like, what the hell are you doing there, Joe? 
What are you doing? Hello, Joe. Turn this way. Crazy stuff, man. Like, I can't believe this guy is the president. It's such a joke. It's so obvious that he is not really in charge and not really lucid. It's pretty scary. This is the guy that they follow around with the football. Here's the um, here's the way it went down yesterday when Xi Jinping um, was uh, getting ready to hang out with the prez. messages i don't know i can't remember where i'm at i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember uh but biden says that they made real progress after four hours of talks with g so they met uh, yesterday for the first time in a year. And this was just south of San Francisco. And uh, they had their little handshake there and they smiled at each other. Of course, I don't think they're too happy with each other, honestly, which is why you're seeing all this uh, tension in the South China Seas. And uh, they had a working lunch. They sat down, they sat around a table. Biden said he thinks it's paramount that they understand each other clearly, leader to leader. And there are critical global challenges that demand our joint leadership. And today we made real progress. And on, you know, if you look at what China has been doing in the last couple of years, they've been positioning themselves on the world stage in a much more effective way than the U.S., on the public relations front, I think they're seen now more as a peace leader than the United States. I think they've been much more effective in putting that foot forward. They are expanding economically. I think that uh, on the information warfare front, they're winning as well. But of course, every government's engaging in that. And uh, I think they've been sitting back and they've been letting the United States really kind of expend its resources in these other conflicts in Ukraine, now between Israel, Palestine, and just by having military bases spread all over the world. And China, they seem to have a lot more common sense. They, came, they seem to be just kind of staying out of things, which is pretty wise. They play a longer game, don't they? I think they certainly do.
think they absolutely do. And the political reality is out there are changing. So when uh, Biden was speaking <laughs> and after meeting with Xi, um, I've got this clip from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Maybe you've seen it already. I'm going to run it here anyway, just for those of you who haven't had the opportunity. And uh, this is Blinken reacting to Biden, who, when asked if he thinks that Xi Jinping is a dictator, Biden responds in the affirmative. Oh, yes. But Blinken was clearly uncomfortable because on the diplomatic front, that's uh, that's problematic, let's say. OK, so look at his reaction closely when Biden calls Xi a dictator. Mr. President, after today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Well, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he is the guy who's run the country that is a communist country that is based on the government totally different than ours. <laughs> he wasn't happy with the question, and he certainly wasn't happy with the answer. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, politics in the new multipolar geopolitical reality. It's kind of funny. What isn't funny is that an arrest has been made now in the death of that Jewish protester who was struck, apparently, in the head by a pro-Palestinian protester with a megaphone, Paul Kessler, uh, died back on November 6th. He was struck on the head, fell down, hit his head on the ground. This happened during a confrontation at dueling pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian demonstrations in Thousand Oaks. And now a suspect has been arrested. Loe Al-Naji. He's 50 years old. He was taken into custody this morning, being booked on a charge of involuntary manslaughter. The arrest was made by officers from the Ventura County Sheriff's Office. Paul Kessler, 69 years old, was at that pro-Israel gathering. And, uh, you know, they went down there. He went down there with some other people, other members of the Jewish community who were concerned about this pro-Palestinian protest, which they heard about. So they went down there to counter-protest. And, of course, there was friction between the two groups and then... Things escalated. Kessler ended up being taken to hospital with severe head injuries and then passed away. This case has become something of a flashpoint, I would say, in this ongoing conflict that in this way is spilling over into the streets and, the, and our communities across North America, really around the world.
And I fear that we will be seeing more of this kind of thing. Not less. Here's a picture of the suspect who was arrested. And there he is. That's the other person identified in this incident. And now one person is dead and this guy's life changed forever. Nothing good came of that. I wonder if any good will ever come of any of these kinds of conflicts. They just seem to go on and on. People say, you need to learn your history. You're doomed to repeat it. And yet I think people keep learning the history. And it seems like some people, as I've said many times, are determined to repeat it. Here's a story about a 16-year-old girl who was viciously beaten at an L.A. area high school. Well, a security guard. Apparently, he's accused of just watching. This is reposted by American Military News, but I believe it is a Los Angeles Times story initially. And so this 16-year-old girl has filed a claim against her local school district. She says she was brutally attacked outside a bathroom stall while other students and a security guard just stood by, watched, and filmed it. The girl, who has not been named, was attacked as she exited a bathroom stall at Baldwin Park High School on October 18th. And uh, in this video there's um, that she posted, there's a notice of claim filed against Baldwin Park Unified School District. So this is a claim that, so that usually precedes the filing of a lawsuit. School board spokesperson has responded by saying the safety of our students is the district's highest priority. We cannot comment further on any potential litigation. So the second the student exits the stall, it says here, another girl begins hurling punches at her and pulling her hair as the victim tries to defend herself, according to the video. The attack goes on for about a half a minute, and as other students look on, and record from the outside of the bathroom. I guess the security guard stood there and just watched, and she suffered a bloodied and broken nose. Attorneys for the girls claim that a security guard can be seen in the video watching the fight and smiling. So this girl has a lawyer. His name is Brian Claypool. He alleges that the security guard for the school was among those watching and egging on the violence. He says, uh, in his words, this security guard allowed both boys and girls to enter the girls' bathroom and be spectators at a UFC fight. The fact that the security guard aided and abetted this ambush on my client and derived pleasure from watching is deplorable, barbaric, and borders on criminal. Talk about bullying. Actually, we don't seem to hear too much about bullying as much these days. I think uh, we've become a little desensitized to violence in our society. Things certainly seem to have shifted quite a bit. Quite a bit. In London, Ontario, my hometown, there was um, 
an incident. How long ago was it now? Well, I got to get the date here. This was two years ago now, where some, where this guy, Nathaniel Veltman, well, anyway, he's been found guilty on all charges for running over um, a Muslim family. So a jury has returned five guilty verdicts to Veltman. And this was back, yeah, June 2021. He ran over a family, an entire family. 22 years old he was at the time, convicted in a Windsor courtroom. So the trial was held down in Windsor in a different city in an effort to give him a fair trial. You see, pull it, pull it out of London, do it in a different city where people or a jury could be selected who had not been tainted with information prior to the trial. He did plead guilty, not guilty to the charges, but today found guilty on all counts. So 46-year-old Salman Afzal, his 44-year-old wife, Medea Salman, their 15-year-old daughter, Yumna, and her 74-year-old grandmother, Talat Afzal, were killed in the attack. The couple's nine-year-old son was seriously injured, but he did survive. Justice Renee Pomerantz now has to determine whether Veltman's actions were terrorism. Now, at the time, after charge to the jury, Pomerantz um, addressed the jurors and said that there were two paths to a first-degree murder conviction, saying that Veltman's actions were planned and deliberate, or they were an act of terrorism. With shaking hands, the foreperson for the jury delivered the verdict, guilty on all five counts, to Veltman. And that's the way this goes now. We have to find out what the sentence will be. A designation of terrorism might impact Veltman's parole eligibility when he applies for it in approximately 25 years. And so you're going to see here at least 25 years in prison, possibly with no parole eligibility. And I would say, given the level of media attention that this case received, he'll, he'll probably serve the whole sentence. And given the political environment around this as well, for sure. So, and I remember the speech that Justin Trudeau gave when he went to London following that incident, that tragedy. And he stood up on stage because the community was, of course, shocked. And a large crowd came out and Trudeau stood there. And he said, today we are all Muslims. And I thought, man, you just can't, you just can't, don't seem to be able to choose the right words ever. What is it with this guy? And those words just upset a whole bunch of Christians and others. And I even found it just 
way off the mark. And he said that we have to move beyond tolerance. That's the other thing at the, in that one speech on that day that really resonated with me in a negative way. Stuck, stuck in my mind ever since. And it really, for me, showed his mindset and how misguided he is. Because if you move beyond tolerance, you're instantly moving to a place of intolerance, which is to say, wokeness. Tolerance means tolerating people with opposing points of view or a different way of life and just letting letting them slide, you know, live and let live, tolerance. But if you move beyond tolerance, now you're enforcing people to think a particular way, aren't you? That's what that really means. And so in that speech, what he was really doing was virtue signaling to the Muslim community saying, if you keep me in office, I'll keep you safe from all these terrible, nasty, awful people, racist Canadians, through legislation and enforcement. We'll make them think the right way. We'll force them to, or else. That's the only way that I can think of to truly explain what he could possibly have meant by moving, you have to move beyond tolerance. That means intolerance. And that results in government terms and it translates into authoritarianism. Coercion. Comply or else. Think the right way or else. Or we will re-educate you maybe even throw you in jail. Snoop Dogg says he's given up smoke. It's the end of an era. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do if he's not smoking his weed. His whole image is going to be destroyed, isn't it? Or at least half of it. He says, after much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. He says, please respect my privacy at this time. He's 52 years old. Did you know that Snoop Dogg's real name? Anybody know his real name? Anybody know Snoop Dogg's real name? I'm going to check the chat. Quiz time. Here's the $20,000 question, but I don't have $20,000 to pay out. So I'm just going to have to answer the question. And do it because it's fun. Anybody know his real name? Snoop Dogg's real name. Anybody? Check in the chat. I'm checking the chat. Check in the chat. That doesn't matter. I'll tell you. What is Snoop Dogg's real name? His name is Calvin Broadus, B-R-O-A-D-U-S, Calvin Broadus. Now, he's not being real specific about what he means by smoke. But uh, yeah, I guess he's, uh, he says, 
I don't know why he's doing this. He's not really being specific about it. My, I don't know. After being like a, a promoter of weed all these years, it's kind of surprising. Let's take a look at his social media posts, shall we? Let's see what's up with that. There it is. There's Snoop Dogg's bushes. After much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. Please respect my privacy at this time. I'm giving up smoke. Hmm. That was eight hours ago. So, yeah. I don't know. What's this? <laughs> Lorenzo's on Yokohama tires. Next. I don't know that. What's that one? Bling, bling. Oh, bling, bling. Every time I come around here, I say that bling, bling. <laughs> Lorenzo's on Yokohama. What part is that? I know that song, though. Oh, Lorenzo's on Yokohama tires, bling, bling. Oh, see, no, I said I all kind of other lyrics on that. Lorenzo Patokama, not trying to bling, bling. You know, once you like the song, see, that's the problem. If I like a song that much, I'm not even trying to listen all the way because I'm participating before I know what it really says. I don't know what that's all about, man. I'm just telling you what he's posting here. That's the only thing he said. Like, there's no real explanation as to why. Like, I don't know. Nothing else on here, but it's just giving up smoke. That's all he's saying. And that's making international headlines because he's decided he's not going to smoke the weed no more. I guess we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> yeah, maybe tomorrow he'll uh, he'll be back to it. Do you think? Giving up smoke. Hmm. Did you guys see that uh, hockey player killed when? What's his name there? It was Adam Johnson who was killed. His neck was cut by a skate blade. This is over in the United Kingdom. It's a pro league over there. It happened a few days ago. I didn't get a chance to, to really touch on it. Um, wow, it was, it was a terrible sight, man, to see. I'm not going to run it. Um, you can find it online. It's on Twitter, but I don't even want to show it to you because it's just, uh, oh. some people are calling it a freak accident. I don't know. When I watch it, it looks to me like the guy kicked him. But they'll have to determine in court. What really happened? If there was any motive. Wow. So the... Um, 
Yeah, this guy, he's been charged with manslaughter. Unbelievable. Anybody want me to show you that video? I guess a lot of people have seen it. I guess maybe I could show it to you. I, if you don't want to see it, just close your eyes, I guess. Judge for yourself. Here it is here. Like, when I look at it, um, freak accidents. I kind of, I don't know. Here it comes. Okay. Oh, my God. There it is. Look at that. Terrible. Enough. Enough. I've got issues with it. I've got issues. I watched it in slow motion. I don't know. Looks to me like doesn't look good. But we'll let uh, we'll let some other people make the uh, ultimate assessment on that one. I just. Uh, Horrified. Absolutely horrified. Well, folks, that gets us to 8.30. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll go to the phones um, for a short while tonight. Um, so you can add your voice to the conversation here tonight on the Maverick News Channel. Don't go away. Greetings brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals. individuals. Defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible. Trusted. Grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late, too late, too late, too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, I'm back and I'm getting everything set up here. I'll just remind everybody while I click the buttons, I'll put this up on the banner and I'll yak with you while I click and poke and prod around in here. Just reminding you that you can support the show by donating at freedomreporters.com. Freedomreporters.com. Please like, share, subscribe. 
And I'm trying to walk and chew gum at the same time here. So bear with me while I click, click, click to get the phone lines set up. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, you can support us at freedomreporters.com. You can also support us at maverickdonations.com. Really appreciate the support we've had. Really, 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 really need your help to uh, keep things going here. Um, to help cover the bills. So if you want us to continue, it's up to you. We don't get any funding of any other kind. It's just you guys supporting what we do. Simple as that. So support free speech at, at uh, freedomreporters.com or maverickdonations.com to support the show. And um, please consider subscribing over on Rumble, as you know. That's where we're focusing and really trying to grow the most. And yeah, it's making a pretty big difference. So we're getting some traction over there. Scoring some points. So I'll pull down out of here. And yeah, let me get uh, the phone line set up here. Going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll take our first call of the night. The sharing of biased and false, false news has become, become all too common on, on social, social media. media. More alarmingly, some media In an ocean of lies a century deep, the truth awaits. Choose not the red pill. Choose not the blue pill. For both are an illusion. Discover the power of M. The power of individuality. We are mavericks. We are the way to the light. Fear not the storm. Join our quest for truth. Truth will set you free. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, the number to call to join the conversation is 1-833-975-3733. 1-833-975-3733. And let me just run the promo for that. And on the other side of this, we'll take our first call. Join the conversation. Call 1-833-975-3733. That's 1-833-975-FREE. Speak up. Speak out. Make your voice heard. Maverick News. Fighting for freedom by defending your right to free speech. Be a Maverick. Join us.
Okay, we're back, and the number again is one 975 3733 And our first caller of the night is the one, the only, the man without a plan. Hello, sir. Mr. Rick, how you been, buddy? Great, Leo. How are you tonight, sir? Oh, I'm all right. I'm getting through it. You know what? The other day I, I told my lawyer I said uh, she didn't show up for court for two days in a row, and I paid her, right? So I was like, fuck, what's going on here, really? You know, she says, they're coming after everything, fucking your house. And I, I shared it on here, but I had a fucking depressing last three fucking days of my life. Like, I hired a, the new lawyers and shit, and I told them, I said, you know what, it's to the point, I just want to jump off the fucking Ambassador Bridge. I'm not fucking depressed. I'm never depressed. Oh, don't do that. Yeah, don't worry. They're only thoughts, okay, not actions. That's how I feel, right? Uh, but I'm getting better today. What I did, what really is depressing is an article that I seen today about a, a Cree young man okay. who drank the Kool-Aid, drank oh. the Ukrainian Kool-Aid, and he went off to Ukraine to fight the battle against the Russians. Oh my God. Well, he's on his way back now in a body bag. And uh, yeah, very sad story. So sorry to hear right, that. So they're, run, they're running out of bodies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on the front lines and uh israel's going to be no different yeah you know what i make of the bin laden letter mm. <laughs> yeah they're coming after christians next okay yeah. well I, I do believe that i do believe that believe me i do yeah. right but what perfect timing <laughs> right look what's going on yeah. the timing is just impeccable yeah there's no way that that is just happening by accident or organically it's that's part of a campaign no doubt in my mind about it even just the tone the nature of the videos that i'm seeing the consistency in the messaging it's marketing man like it it, it is recruitment yep. recruitment pro propaganda at its finest yep yep okay you're you're next on the list oh fuck i better hurry up and get my combat boots on and my fatigues and head over to the fucking middle east and play sandcastle yeah okay yeah. or worse people to, are fighting to do stuff domestically yep. too right like that's what that is as well that's why they want people to read this stuff well you, you hit it on the nail last night that show you had last night as crazy as it was okay and it was a crazy show if anybody missed last night's show on here Fucking look it up. It's worth the it's worth the watch, mm -hmm. okay. But there's a lot of people out there that are, I, I call them uh, morbid minded, mm. okay, uh, and they can't think for themselves, right? So they believe everything that they hear and that yeah. they see on TV, yeah. okay. And it's still going on today, yeah. okay. It's going on today even worse because now they they're really making it fuck like it's for real, yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of misinformation out there, and uh, you know, I just I laughed when I was watching this. Uh, uh, who was the uh, uh, the alien in the backyard? <laughs> yeah, right. What was his name? Bat boy, bat boy, <laughs> bat That's boy. Oh bat my boy. god! <laughs> right, and people watch this shit. Okay, this you know, even though that was probably shot in the eighties. Okay. Uh, yep. uh, <laughs> people watch this shit today okay and they believe it right uh yeah. and that's a scary thing man that's a very scary thing because you know you got fanatics out there and then you got people like this uh 
uh, Nathaniel there. He's being tried in my city right now for yeah. the, uh, the running over the, uh, the the five people. That's happening in my city as we speak. Right. Okay, that's where they moved the trial because there was too much media attention there and uh, shit in, in London that they couldn't do it in London, so they moved it down the highway to my town. Yeah. Right, uh, but you're going to have people like that. Uh, you know, he was probably probably a great kid till he found out about the internet and some of these sites out there that people are watching, right? And then uh, you become a victim yeah, because you've seen it and you believed it, okay? And uh, everything that they're saying is, is, is for real and you act on it, yep. right? So yep. now he's going to end up spending a lot longer than 25 years in jail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, at that 20, point, yeah, 20, 20. he's got no future now. Like his life is done. Right. And he's not going to qualify for the parole program. Okay. After 25, I think, uh, if I'm right, there's a couple people that did get over 25 years, but that was for killing police officers. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I think 35 year sentences, they, they, they dashed out at people in Canada. Right. So 20, 25 is what they're seeking. They're going to get that plus. Right. So he ended his life and the, the, the moral to this story tonight is don't believe what you hear. Okay, you better get all the facts straight before you start pulling the trigger on people. Hundred percent, because a lot of it, a lot of it's fixed, right? Uh, for that, you know, everybody's looking for for that firecracker, okay? And this shit that's going on here with our protests, we got another one happening tomorrow in Windsor, a big one, right? Uh, mm -hmm. The whatever you want to call it, Hamas protests or pro-Palestinian protests, call it whatever you want, okay? Uh, it's only a matter of time before somebody. You know, it might not be an actor from either side that does it. It yeah. might be somebody just to throw in the Molotov cocktail, and guess what? The shit's fucking shit's gonna burn. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're gonna be blaming each other, and and, and the guy sitting in the middle is gonna be laughing, going, "See, look what I started." Mm -hmm. Right? That's that's what worries me. Yeah, me but it too. is what it is. And you sent me this video of. Uh... Um, <laughs> which one? Mel, the, the Mel Lastman. Um, oh, nobody. Shit. No, uh, you, you go like this. No <laughs> money. That's right. Bad boys, Toronto. Yeah. Let me, uh, what a great people. Story. Let me get the right thing up here. Where is it? So many clips up here tonight. So this is. This was, uh, oh, I hate it when I can't find the clip. I'll find it here. I got it. Hang on. Not that one. Not that one, Rick. Oh, because I'm going to the wrong thing. Sorry, guys. Here we go. Okay. So it's right there. So this is, what's the name of the store? Big Boy, right? In Toronto. And uh, Mel Lastman was the mayor of Toronto for a while, right? And mm -hmm. I guess his store has now gone bankrupt. Is that right? Yep. And so, and with that bankruptcy, they they stiffed a lot of people along the way. Average Joe is like this guy you're going to show in the video. Okay, so let's take a look at this. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
Daughter doesn't have a bed. No wonder he's upset. Where's my shit? Well, that didn't go well. <laughs> no, and you know what? I feel for this guy. Really, I yeah, do. We're yeah. in struggling times for a lot of people right now. Okay, uh, I'm one of them. I'll tell you right now. I went into work on Monday. My boss said, "There's no work. Stay home for the rest of the week." Then he said, "Come in." Okay, this Monday, if there's no work at the end uh, this week, Rick, I'm moving the fuck on. I'm going to tell him, fire me, give him my severance. He just did it with five, six uh, uh, other people. Okay, and a lot of this has to, to do with my industry with the plastics because we're plastic injection, we're mold. We build the molds for plastic injection. Yeah. Okay, and there's a lot, the uh, EV battery and all that shit. Nobody, everything's on hold right now, man. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Well, why is it on hold? Okay. I don't understand. Aren't they pushing ahead with construction of battery plants and all They're, that? The, right. The construction on the bridge, the construction on the battery plant, all that shit's, okay, that's all going. Okay, the money's all allocated for that. But these businesses like Ford's, Chrysler's, and GM, they could put a hold on jobs, right, because they don't know where the industry's going. So right now... Windsor's in some deep shit, okay, and they want to ban plastics, okay, I'll tell you about plastics, it's a huge industry, yeah. okay, plastic mold injection is bigger than the auto industry, believe yeah. it or not, okay, yeah, especially in my parts, your parts too, okay, Wallaceburg, you got all the tool shops in Wallaceburg, London, yeah. uh, Toronto, okay, and you, uh, you know, you got these factory workers that just press buttons all day long, and uh, you know, comes a plastic part or whatever it is, spoons, knives, forks, plates, whatever, okay, that, that are made from plastic. Toys, the auto industry, a lot of shit's made from plastic, buddy. Yes. Okay, so a lot of shit. Let's see, for him to try and put the ban on plastics, okay, yeah. bad move. Yeah. He's made a lot of bad moves. So I feel what this guy's feeling here in this video. You know, me, I, I would have acted a little bit different. You paid for something, okay, and you got proof that you paid for it, but you don't have the product. I'd have walked in right on the shoulder and grabbed whatever fucking loaded up my truck. Here you go. And this is the exact price of what I'm taking. Fuck off. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, and the, and the sad thing is these these companies like uh, Big Boy and shit, okay, uh, and I checked into it. They were taking payments, okay, the day of the bankruptcy. Oh. They were filing for bankruptcy. So they were taking people's money which is fraud. Okay. Yeah. Kinda, fraud. Yeah. Right. And if you're under bank, if you're under a bankruptcy, the, the salesmen that are there, they work on commission or however mm -hmm. they're getting paid, probably commission. What are they even doing work in there? I don't know. So it's a big scam that's going on, right? Nobody works for free. Yeah. If my company came in tomorrow and said, we're going bankrupt. Fuck guys. Just, you know, uh, where's my pay? No you doubt. Know? The money that was coming it. in, they were channeling that, that money in the last days to some other accounts or something like that. Because when you go, when a company goes bankrupt, there's sort of a pecking order and who gets paid first. And it's like employees are usually among the last and consumers. If you've purchased something Absolutely. or you have something even in a business on consignment or whatever, like you're, you're down at the bottom of the list, man. It's the guys at the top that get paid first, like the banks and stuff like that. And the government. But I'm not, I don't want to say anything too harsh, but look at the last name. Mm. Lastman. <laughs> mm. Country of origin. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not saying anything, folks. I'm just, well, I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> well, my goodness. What can I Right, I, so... <laughs> But if it was anybody else, you'd be you'd be hung in court by now. Okay, what's going on here? These guys are protected under chapter. Is it chapter ten? Is what we call it here? Is that in the U.S.? Whatever bankruptcy is bankruptcy, right? Yeah. So you're protected. You're protected, so you could still take people's money. Are you joking me? Yeah, but you know, like I, I know how the bankruptcy stuff works, and you know it's not pleasant. But the thing is, sometimes under these bankruptcies, they. Like they go bankrupt over here, but they'll transfer assets before they get to the point of bankruptcy so that it, the bankruptcy really is a way for them to avoid paying their debts. That's really what a lot of this stuff ends up being. Um, it's a game that sometimes companies are able to play. It depends on how the companies are set up. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's pr pretty bad. Eh? Yeah. It is what it is. Hey, with that being said, buddy, and all you Rumble watchers out there, thanks for listening. Keep watching. Keep supporting. Hit Thank that thumb button if you're not going to donate. At least give them the thumbs up. It's some love. Thank you. Appreciate that, Leo. Have a great night, my friend. Bye-bye. And here's the man. Here's John. Hey, hey. Great, great to have you. I have to say thank you for what you sent in the mail for your donation. And oh, you got it, I eh? got that. And, all right. and thanks for wrapping those in the uh the pictures from the car calendar um i i particularly liked the one you sent uh this time which was the uh, the, the dodge challenger which car, I, that was the first car i ha i owned really i learned how to drive and put it that way are you kidding me those <laughs> those fast, things man. Oh, are they're beautiful i think that the lines on those old um challengers those things man they're like Mustangs, cool, you know, Camaros, Firebirds, they're cool, but no, the Challengers. I always thought that those that body style was just, you know, for the pony cars, they they were it for me. Love those things. Uh send you another one. Okay. <laughs> I, I I'm gonna I think next week I gotta go see somebody. Uh um they 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 always give me um Girl calendars, eh? Body, uh, body, body, uh, work girls, you know, with the tool, oh, yeah. tool calendars. Yeah. And they and they have a nice car calendars. I'll, I'll get you one. I'll send it to you. Yeah, but the calendar's <laughs> not as nice as Rick's hair. Rick's hair, <laughs> <laughs> Leo. <laughs> hey, Mel Lossman's dead. Get a, threesome, get a threesome going on Rick's line. <laughs> Rick's got nice hair. <laughs> Rick's hair. Yeah, it it looks like uh, he uses that stuff, eh? In the morning, I have a hard time with my hair. It's so long, you know, like uh, <laughs> I got my hair is like twice as long as it was. And uh, <laughs> you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, what am I going to do now? <laughs> so I get the water out and put water on it, comb it back and kind of works a bit. You got to have a shower. That's the best. But anyways, uh, yeah, your show was really good yesterday, Rick. Oh, I watched like it when I got in. Okay. Oh, I watched it when I got in. That was laughing my brains out. Now, you got to do more of those. Those are good shows. Okay. I'll do my best for you. I'll do my best. I went down to uh, I went down to the Eaton Center to see the lighting of the tree. They got a, oh, it's over a hundred foot tree down there. You know, I went down there and. 
I got there when they let it up, but I couldn't get to the front. It was packed with kids and, oh, my God. But I, I seen the tree light up. had millions of little lights on it, eh? Those oh, yeah. LED lights. Like a million of them going crazy. It was it was pretty cool, man. But And then uh, we went for a drink after. There's a bar on Dundas there. It's at Young and Dundas. And mm-hmm. I'm walking down, we're walking down there and I'm going, this girl smoking a crack in a, in a glass pipe. I stopped and looked at her and her eyes were all like lit up, eh? And she's hauling away on the thing. And then another guy smoking crack and another guy, guy laying on a sleeping bag on the side of the curb. Another guy sh- shooting up a needle. Uh. I go, holy fuck, what's Toronto coming to, man? It's just, uh, I couldn't believe my eyes. Well, one more, uh, one, uh, one more reason why Trudeau's got to go. And then you see two cops just uh, outside their car there, just in front of the bar, just standing there. And I go, what are you two troublemakers up to tonight? And they just <laughs> look at me. And go, yeah. yeah. Mm. So today, today's the first day of uh, spot checks, eh? Spot so checks for what? I'm gonna, don't, don't you have spot checks up there? Oh, you mean like uh, for drinking and driving? Like the yeah, ride yeah, program? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They you do have it. those there, right? Yeah. Do, each I, municipality I, does it different, I guess. But yeah. Starts today. Oh. So so tomorrow, this weekend, I'm going to go driving around looking for them. Oh, okay. uh, they, give, they give away good coupons, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. I just go for the coupons. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Last year, I got some really good coupons. They're pulling ah. me over all the time. Yeah. So, well, listen, John, I'm uh, going to get you to wrap up because I have to be off by oh, nine uh, because I've got um, a conference call that I yeah. have to do with some folks. Uh, so just give me some final thoughts and some inspiration. Make us smile. Uh, well, well, today, uh, the Jews, the military army, they, they, they went. Uh, I was watching it on Al Jazeera. They planted a Israel flag on the beach. Uh, Gaza Beach. I guess they... I yeah. guess they figured they claimed it already, eh? Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. No. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was watching it today, and it had the military on Gaza Beach planting a Israel flag. They're putting them all over the place, eh? It's like uh, it's it's land grab, man. That's all it is. You know what, man? They, you know what I was thinking today? If wars actually solved anything, we wouldn't be fighting wars right now. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point? It, we just keep coming back full circle and, and repeating it over and over again. This is pointless. Um, yeah, it is pointless. Yeah. Wars don't solve I, anything. I, we I, keep fighting. I feel bad with uh, what's going on over there. I, I watch that channel. It depresses me. You know, the shit going on. Mm. Okay, Rick. Thank you, John. Nice talking to you. We'll talk Always. again another time. You betcha. Okay. All right. Have a good night. Bye. All right. Take care, John. And we'll just wrap and- up here. And there we go. I'm going to I'm going to run one thing for you here tonight, though, folks, um, talking about that Dodge Challenger. I've got I've got a little a little video here to share with you of a sweet little 1971 Dodge Challenger owned by my friend Bob Sinek. I shot this a number of years ago, but I'll share it with you here tonight so you understand what it was I was talking about. And why those these things are so freaking awesome. This will be a video to close out the show tonight. Here we go.
you are looking at a true muscle car. Oh, hang on, here we go. This is Bob Senex, 1971 Dodge Challenger. One of several Mighty Mopars in Bob's collection, but this one, well, it's probably his favorite. How much power you got here? Uh, it dynoed up just a little bit better than 500 horse. You see, Bob is a Mopar man. He bought this Challenger a few years back and it was pretty rough. It was covered in gray primer and the motor was shot, but Bob brought it back to life. He cut out any bits of bad metal and welded in fresh new steel. He dropped in a 440 Magnum, tweaked it a bit. It's a lot more powerful now. It looks stock, but inside Bob made sure this Challenger got upgrades where they were needed most, in the camshaft, in the engine, and in the transmission with upgraded clutch plates where torque from the engine would just be too much for the stock clutch plates to handle over the long haul. Like when you're stepping on the gas, it's just, it, it's just raw power, right? It's like- I'm hardly stepping on it, dude. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's just a monster. Inside, the car has been restored to its original glory. The car came from the factory blue, but Bob has changed the color, giving it a louder look to match the car's performance and loud dual exhaust. New intake, new carburetors, I didn't bother with the old ones. It's, just, it's better just to buy new in it. It sounds mean, too. Oh, it is. Yeah. It flies. And oh, yeah. Is it loud? You bet. And Bob is proud. <laughs> this is an original four-speed car, making it even more desirable as a collectible. On auction blocks these days, these cars are bringing big, big bucks. But Bob has no plans to sell it. He says this one's a keeper. He just loves it too much to let it go. Bob Senex, 1971 Dodge Challenger, a true piece of American Mopar muscle. Rick Walker, SST Car Show News. That's a sweet machine. Folks, thanks for sticking around, hanging out with me tonight. I uh, will be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.